call the meeting of the uh, Peace River Town Council regular meeting for Monday, December the 8th, 2014 to order. And the record can show that the minute meeting started at one minute after five. So uh, are there any, uh, uh, any, so you sh there should have been an agenda posted and there was an agenda posted uh, on the town website, uh, certainly by Friday. So um, further to that agenda, are there any additions or deletions? Hearing... Hearing none, I'll entertain a motion to accept the agenda as presented. Uh, all or, idols move, but I think the new item should be 8.6 instead of 5. Um, what's the reference to? New business is... Oh. New business, yeah. the addition. There. Is there an addition? I don't have an addition. There had been actually a last-minute addition, probably about five minutes before we started the meeting. Okay. And uh, it is the Peace River and District Chamber of Commerce. It's a sponsorship request, and it's already included in the agenda. Oh, it's the sponsorship. Okay. Right. The number should be 8.6 instead of 8.5. I don't even have an 8.6 or an 8.5. I have an 8.5. So, no. oh. Okay, so there is an addition to the agenda. So, um, so I need a a motion to accept the. So you're adding that on then, Ms. Bazer. Uh, yes, I guess I am. Okay. Are you going to make a uh, motion to accept the agenda as as amended? Yes, I am. Okay. Uh, all in favor of Deputy Mayor Manzer's motion? Passed. Okay. So that takes us to the minute adoption of the minutes. So we have minutes from December 1st, 2014. This is a special meeting council. And uh, it should be relatively brief. This is where uh, Mr. Cuff gave us a pre-briefing of his report. So is there any uh, changes that need to be made to those, to that special meeting minutes? No changes, Your Worship, but a motion to accept the minutes of uh, special meeting of December 1st. All in favor? Past. Um, then we have the minutes of December 1st, 2014, regular meeting of council. <coughs> Are there any uh, additions or changes needed? Deputy Mayor Mazur. Just a missing word on motion 14-12-823. It says Manzer accept. It should be Manzer moved to accept. Had you identified that one, Ms. Alexa? Yes, I have now. Thank you. <laughs> okay, are there any other minor changes or even major changes? Hearing none, I'll entertain a motion to accept the minutes as amended. Uh, Councillor Benke, all in favor of Councillor Benke's motion? 
<clears throat> that takes us to the minutes of December 3rd, uh, 2014, special meeting of council. And um, anyone, are there any changes required under that? Um, hearing none, I'll take a motion to accept those minutes as... I'll make that motion, Your Worship. Okay, as... Uh, presented. All in favor? Passed. Mr. Lexoff, are there any public hearings? There are none. Okay. Uh, that takes us to presentations. We have uh, <coughs> three presentations. Uh, the Daycare Society. I don't think that's their official name. Uh, Alberta Health Services and the Lac Cardinal Regional Economic Development Group. So uh, I'll invite the daycare to uh, come up and make their presentation. Thank you for having us back again. Right. So, Ms. Danks, if I could get you to read your name into the record as well as that of your colleague, and then just so that I'm Jeanette Danks with Peace River Child Care Association, and this is Kaylee Lowe, the treasurer with our association. And thanks again for having us. It's been uh, a little while, not that long maybe, since we were here last. So we have a few things we want to go through tonight. Um, We'll give you a, a kind of a what's been happening. We've been really busy, although we haven't had a lot of communication out into the community as to what's been going on, but there has been lots going on. So we wanted to update you on PRCCA and the programs, the current status of the daycare and our agreement with the ski club, the current status of our rebuilding plans, and then we have a few requests, a request for land, a request for a donation, request for funding, request for a loan. So... <laughs> We'll get through those. Uh, so the background and where we're at right now, in July we had to submit um, requests for proposals for two of our programs, our Inclusive Child Care Program and our Families First Home Visitation Program. Just prior to submitting those, our coordinator with our Inclusive Child Care Program gave her notice and kind of left us going, do we want to take on the challenge of trying to find staff, train staff, and deal with that on top of everything else? So we made the choice to not RFP that program, which led to um, some discussions as to what we want to focus on moving forward. And as a board, we decided we wanted to focus on the daycare and the day home program, and knowing that those were going to, the daycare especially, was going to take a lot of time and a lot of energy. We knew that we couldn't support, properly support those other programs as well. So we uh, put a request into um, Child and Family Services to see if there could be other agencies take on our Families First program and Parent Link. 
and you guys are somewhat aware of that, and thank you for agreeing to take on the ParentLink program under the town. That will be moving forward as of January 1st, or yeah, January 1st, and they're just in process of finalizing some details for our Families First program, and it looks like they'll be moved to another agency for April 1st. That being said, those that service will still be provided in town. It will. We haven't got confirmation on the agency, but it likely won't be an agency in town that's supporting it, but there'll still be staff in town and providing the same services that were previously provided. Um, uh, so then moving on to current status. So the ski club has agreed to extend the lease with us until October 31st of 2015. So we've just got that finalized last week, and now we're looking at what we're going to do moving forward, whether that means we're going to expand services at the ski chalet or keep things status quo depending on how we feel we can best meet the needs. But um, our numbers there are really low, most of that being because there wasn't a for sure parents weren't looking to take their children out of confirmed spaces, whether it was great quality child care or not, but they didn't want to give up a space they had child care to um, put them at the ski chalet where it's a little unforeseen what was going to happen. So now we're going to put that forward and start advertising that we have place space available and try to grow the service there, take some of the stress off of other child care providers and some of the families in the community. Um, and we met with um, an the engineering firm that we've hired, BLK, out of Grand Prairie on November 18th and uh, just this weekend received the first set of plans. So we've got a good starting point as to where we're going. Um, we anticipate that the plans will be finalized by January, sent out to bid in February and optimistically having somebody chosen and starting to work as soon as the ground's ready for that to happen. They're pretty optimistic and favorable that they think we'll be able to get four to six bids on it. They think that there's some companies out of Grand Prairie that would likely bid, and hopefully we'll get some local bids as well. So optimistically, that gets started in the spring, and uh, we have a completion in December and ready to open for January of 16. That being said, we all know that things can happen in the interim, but... We're hoping that when our lease is up with the ski chalet in October that we have some space available that we can start transitioning into the new facility. If it's not complete, at least that we have some room space complete that we can start moving those kids in and not have a disruption of service again for those that are currently in care. Uh, so um, moving on to our asks. <laughs> Prior to completing the plans, we need to... Um, confirm that we have space available. So attached in the package is a, a site plan. Uh, it's pretty preliminary. I looked in to see if there was an RPR on that land that we're on right now, and there's not. So they do need to do a full survey, but they've put through a preliminary site plan based on the current expansion plan. And um, it shows on that piece of land that the expansion of the building is running over our fence that we currently have. So we're looking at expanding that and asking for additional space on that current land so that we can have, excuse me, space for the expansion along with space for playground equipment. Um, as to how much we need, I don't know that for certain. 
uh, we also might want to look at expanding our parking lot. So I'm going to ask for that whole piece of land, but we'll, we likely won't need that whole space, although it's not very usable for anything else. So um, we, we can come back when we have a full site plan, but we just need to know that there's a commitment that we can have the land prior to finalizing everything, because if we can't get an expansion on the land, then we need to look at a different layout. Sorry, Jeanette, just to clarify, the gray part is the expansion, so this is all building, the white area and the gray yeah. area is all building? The white area is the current building, and then okay. the gray is the expansion. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, so moving on, we I had hoped to have a check here for you tonight for 55778 which is what's outstanding on our debenture. Um, we appreciate that you'd given us the extension payable 2015, 16, 16, and 17. We are going to pay that out as soon as we're just in the finalization of settling some of our insurance. So as soon as we get those funds, we'll be paying off the debenture in full before. So we'll be done early. We'll get that off the books before we have a new uh, new building. <laughs> you know, I really, I was hoping, Colin, I wanted to find one of those big checks and hand it right over to you, but <clears throat> you guys might rush off and cash that. We're not quite ready for it yet. Uh, so upon that repayment, we want to uh, in turn ask the town for a donation of 55778 to put towards our rebuilding plan. Yeah, you can cash it and then just write one back. We're not asking you to waive our debenture. <laughs> um, so next thing, our, so we've set a budget around the $2 million mark and hoping to have funds of about 2.5 for um, this. That was the preliminary numbers. And so that 2.5 to cover contingency and we want to ensure that there's some money left in the bank and a maintenance fund uh, moving forward. So 10 years down the road when the furnace goes or the roof goes or something that the daycare is in the position for sustainability, make sure that there's some maintenance funds available. Um, so at this point, towards that goal, we have, we'll have $1.126 million from insurance proceeds. Shell's donated 50000 They donated that this year for our planning, to go towards our planning expenses. Uh, Friesen Brothers donated $50,000 back in 2008 that was for an expansion talk at that time. Uh, that money disappeared over that time, but it was one thing we put in our strategic plan in the winter to replace that as soon as we could. And so that money has been replaced and will be going back into this building fund. We anticipate about 350000 left from our business interruption insurance after our expenses are paid for our operations until we're in there. Um, we'll have about 30000 from our casino funds for our casino we did in September. Uh, hopefully a donation from the Town of Peace River of $55,778. And then hopefully $125,000 from uh, our CFEP grant application. So assuming all that comes through, we'll be at $1.787 almost. Um, so that still leaves us short. But it's a good, uh, really good start and a lot further than we thought we were going to be when we started this process. So what we're asking is the Town of Peace River in conjunction with Northern Sunrise County. Um, 
make a commitment out of the joint capital funding account of two hundred and fifty thousand. <coughs> We're talking to Northern Sunrise tomorrow, and we'll be. Um, bringing that ask forward to them as well. So we're hoping that there can be some discussion around that. Um, and I came across a grant that some of you are probably aware of that I wasn't, the Alberta Community Partnership Grant, which has the potential to get another 350000 250000 of that is joint or is matching funds and 100000 is available. I've been talking to um, Tanya about it, and my understanding is each municipality can make two applications a year and that Peace River has done those two applications, so we can't, it has to be applied on by the municipality, not by the user group. So we're going to ask Northern Sunrise if they've made their applications, and if not, the, um, if the 250000 can come out of the joint capital, that we could leverage that for the additional three hundred and fifty. And in talking with um, uh, CFAP, someone from the CFEP grant, they we can apply under a disaster clause and they will there's no maximum on that so we're submitting our grant to them for 500,000 no guarantee as to what can be what we'll get out of that but we're hoping that uh, without going in at a million five that they'll look at it and be able to give us something over and above the 125 and hopefully the 500 so if all of that came through that would be an additional 975000 So that would give us a total of 2761778 um, I spoke with the um, engineer today, and they're estimating 175 a square foot is our rough cost, which would put us at about 2.3 based on the preliminary plans that we have. So um, if we had that amount, then we could with a 2.3 building cost, that would give us room for our contingency, our building fund, and uh, furnishings for the additional space that we're looking to build. So as we're just beginning our fundraising, we're confident that we'll be able to make our goal and see a new daycare facility come to Peace River. We've been given many nods uh, to approach local business and industry when we identify our ask and hope to bridge all the relationships in and around the community. Excuse me. For the benefit of all. That being said, we want to take as much advantage of um, municipal funding, government funding, so that we don't put as much strain on industry and that if we can get our funds elsewhere, those funds can be used for one of the other many projects going on in the region. Uh, so our last uh, ask is that um, should we be unable to meet our fundraising goal prior to having to give the go-ahead to get things started? We're asking that the uh, town look at providing us a loan of $500,000 in case we need to access those funds for completion or if we get multi-year funding where we won't have everything at the time we need it. Uh, we've approached our bank looking for it as well and based on our past financial issues. We haven't been given a no, but they've asked to review the last few years of financial statements and as you're all aware, that's not going to look really great and that's a pretty big hurdle for us to overcome so it's not a it's still a possibility that we might be able to get that borrowing through the bank but we want to make sure that we've got things lined up and ready to go so that we can get things done and get it done as quickly as possible so in summary we want land we want money but most importantly we want to provide child quality child care to peace river in the region and we want to provide that as quickly as possible 
take the strain off the families and the employers in the community. So that's all I got, but I'm happy to answer any questions you have. Hey there. And this um, is Melissa, our Vice President. Welcome. <laughs> uh, do you have any idea when you're going to hear on CFIP? Uh, the deadline is the 15th. I've um, so we'll get it in for this deadline. And, and that's a quarterly application, right? Yeah. They And so they've said it could take up to six months to hear. My understanding was you would hear by the end of, like, that the we quarter. would have heard by March 31st. And in my experience, any grant applications I've been involved in in the past, you do hear within that quarter. But um, we they said it could take up to six months. Uh, Mr. Oberly called me the other day, and he said just to let him know, and he'll make sure he puts his, his nod in, too. So... Hopefully with that, it gets put to the top of the pile. And my understanding is under the disaster clause, it does go ahead oh, okay. of the others. So. Okay. And you need to know by when in turn, like it, you have to have everything in place by when in order to. Well, we'd like to know by uh, when we're accepting bids. So February. February, okay. Okay, thank you. Just some questions about the structure. I, I mean, it's tight. Money's tight. Town has all lot of money. There's eight, seven offices there. Like, what? What are? So that's one of the things. Um, like, we went to them with a wish list and we went with a needs list. And to be honest, um, we asked for four offices. We don't need eight. Uh, so, although that's in the old building, and I don't know how. I don't know what would happen with that space, but it will probably turn into storage space with the possibility that in the future, if that's needed, can be reworked. Okay. So, yeah, looking at these plans, like this is just the first ones that came back. We're actually meeting it later tonight to go through them and and give our first feedback of changes we want to see and okay. things that aren't going to work for us. Jenna, does this handle the kids' age group that you had talked to us about in terms of the ARENA program? Is this taking into consideration room for them as well? or? Yeah, so in this one, in the old building, we had six rooms. This one has eight rooms. And so two of those would be that out-of-school program. So potentially, should this ever move forward, there's the potential that that could be space for growth if the uh, out-of-school program could be rehoused elsewhere if that, if, if that were to come to fruition. But it, So it does provide for us to take on a larger capacity than we currently have. Yes. And you can't stay in the ski chalet past October 2015? That's the current, the current lease. Right, that's the current lease. So if the con, if the Big picture concept is to uh, build a recreational complex and have room for daycare. Um, you're essentially going ahead and you're building a building, and that's not part of your thinking. So strategic thinking. Like as our discussions previously, for us to wait for there to be a multi-use facility and wait for that to happen, we wouldn't have anything for, I'm going to say, the minimum three years. And we can't wait that long. The community can't wait that long to have childcare. So this provides us to have 
the daycare facility, if that multi-use moves forward and there's an ability to do some bridging, that that's when we would look at our out-of-school program possibly um, being housed there, which would create more space within the daycare for the younger age groups and allow for, for growth in the community and more childcare spaces. So you can work something out with the ski chalet where you can hang in there for three years at the ski chalet? Well, currently at the ski chalet, we can't put our uh, youngest age groups, any that any kids that need diapering and napping, because the facility doesn't have the washrooms and doesn't have the setup for hand-washing stations, diapering stations, and the noise level in there is... It's not the best facility for noise, so to have any children in that napping age group doesn't work. So the best we could put and what we're considering is whether we expand to three-year-olds and greater, that still leaves a significant drain of not having childcare spaces for anyone under three years of age and for it to go on for a long term. I mean, we have a staffing crisis in town as it is, I think, that that's just going to grow and what we continue, we hear, and I'm sure you hear, is that that's one of the things that maybe prevents people from moving to the community or moving their families to the community is the lack of childcare. So <coughs> the quicker we can do that, I think the better for all involved. Right. So uh, so you have a daycare and, and it isn't universal access. So, so there, I guess what I'm getting at is you're asking for a lot of taxpayers' money. So there's taxpayers that aren't going to be able to use this facility because you're going to have, A, limited spaces. So so there is the and, – and, and I heard it when we, when we uh, helped, helped you get over your financial situation was, hey, I've hired a nanny. Where's my subsidy? Uh, so on and so forth. So – so we're giving. So you're asking for a lot of money, but you, you're not providing universal access to for all into all uh, families in terms of childcare, though, right? Well, we we don't not offer it to anyone. Anyone that uh, is on the list and able to, it's offered to. But the reality is, we can't have unlimited spaces because we can't have unlimited. We, we'll never have unlimited staff or unlimited space. So we're trying to provide the most spaces for the number of staff that we think that we can accommodate. The the new facility, how many children would it hold in various age groups? <clears throat> um, so we haven't, it, the way we want to have it structured is so that um, the rooms can be used for different age groups. So depending on what they need, we can move that if it's, you know, really heavy and, 12 months to three years old now, but five years down the road, that's not where the need is. There's uh, every room sort of set up the same way, so they can be amended. If we have two rooms of a certain age group, that can be accounted for. But um, as for total numbers, so we had 102 in our previous one, 30 of which was the after school. So we're still planning for that 30 number in the after school. So that leaves about. Um, Set, yeah, and so it's about a 25. We had four rooms for those 70. We'll have six rooms. So um, that'll increase it by 30%. So essentially we can incre- take on another roughly 20 to 30 kids. 
Do you know off the top of your head how many people you had on the wait list when you when you had the fire? Like how many families were waiting to get kids in? I know I was one of them, but do you have other ones that like was there about twenty or thirty families that were waiting or more? There was about a hundred kids on the wait list. Oh, okay. Now to know how many of those were still actively looking for child, child care, care, we don't yeah. know for certain. We have a good idea that there was probably consistently at least fifty, okay. but from when Gail, our director, started in October. That's one of the things she started doing was making her way through that wait list to see who was still looking for care. So and even with this expansion, you're still, still anticipating to have, a, to have a wait list? Yeah. Okay. I'm not sure how relevant this. One of the concerns I had when I was campaigning was individuals who were on the wait list, and they actually found themselves moving down the wait list because, and these are their words, and I don't know, I can't, can't prove it, people that could influence the priority that others were being put placed ahead of them. And that, that again, I think goes along with the, what the mayor is saying, saying, you know, it seems like if this is a specialty club for people that are already in it. And if you're not on, I'm not part of the in-group, then maybe you're not, you might not get service, which, again, if the town has is putting money into it, I think it needs to make sure that it's a fair system. That And, I, you know, again, this is the old group, and, and that I'm not... I, I agree, and we heard those things as board members after things kind of unraveled last fall, and that with our um, our understanding was that was happening with our previous management, not because we knew that it was happening, but it was, and okay. um, we're aware of it. We've made policy to avoid that, okay. and uh, and to ensure that if we have, I mean, pl- spaces were being held for people on mat leave or people that they were coming back. There was some deals made, but we've made policy so that that doesn't continue. Okay. And yeah. the other advantage is that our new director came from out of town. She doesn't have a lot of special relationships, right? She added to her, everybody's the same. And so that, that's made a different as well. difference okay. as well. It's a lot easier to follow that policy. Okay, thank you. Just one uh, question before you run. Uh, last time we spoke, uh, accounts receivable was a significant issue. Um, I can read what's before me in this capital project, but could we talk about operations for a minute so how how are accounts receivable these days our accounts receivable we've had uh, since we moved into the ski chalet we've had no issue everything's been paid up to date um we've collected on anything that we're going to be able to collect on so there were there have been accounts written off but majority of those accounts were two three four years old so we started this um after we had our financial during our audit this past year we went through our list and and, yeah, we took a big loss in written-off accounts. But to get to a point where if we're not going to claim on it, we're not, we're not going to chase it forever and have had great success on collecting, I think that it's become clear to the families that are in there, especially the ones that went through that, that that was one of our big issues. If you're not paying, we still have expenses and we can't continue that way. And so it's, it's not an issue. Right now. Oh, okay, so all right. Uh, just could you elaborate a little bit on the policy then? So why? Just help me understand why it won't be an issue because it, the last numbers that I saw were quite significant, and I it wouldn't take long for this to slide again. So what? What's the structure that's in place now for? So payments due by the end of the month. There's interest charged each week at the end of 30 days. If you haven't paid, you're out until you pay your arrears, and if you haven't paid for another 30 days, you're out entirely. So if, if you haven't made payment after 30 days, you don't have child care until you've caught that up and brought your account up to date. And if you, that goes on another 30 days, then your spot's filled. Oh, so for those 
60 days your spot is held. Yes. The 30 that you're in there while they're waiting for payment, and then the 30 when you're not in there waiting for payment. Okay. And then after that year, spot's given up to the first person on the list. Yeah. Okay. Jeanette, one last question. Um, what's sort of the anticipated number of employees? Full-time equivalents, I guess. Um, you know what? We haven't actually gone through it to say to see for sure. I, when we were looking at when we were doing our budgeting process and, and our fee schedules, we were, um, if I remember correctly, it was, um, I think we fifteen, and that includes our admin staff and and our cook and all of the, the additionals. But I think fifteen was what we needed. Twenty was ideal. And not all of those were full-time positions, but so I think that I don't, I can't say for certain, but I think we'll be looking to staff 20 if we, if we can, and knowing that we're only going to be able to open rooms as we have staff available come the time to, uh, to reopen. You had a hard time staffing it before. Um, are you anticipating that this is going to have changed anything or? Well, what we hear from those in the industry is, New building, people will be excited, people will be there. So can we say that for certain? No. But um, we're going to start, the hope is to start in the spring with the job fairs and stuff, starting with GPRC, those um, people that are coming out of school, and if we need to overstaff through the summer and the fall so that we have staff in place for opening, then that's what we'll do. So you're certified, right? Is that Yes, licensed and accredited. Under what kind of... So, what? so licensed is through the province, okay. through Child and Family Services. So we need to be licensed to offer subsidy. Oh, okay. So that's basic requirements to um, be through the government and offer subsidized childcare. And then accredited is over and above. And having an accredited facility means that you provide extra... Great care. I always have a hard time saying, trying to define what it is. But once you're accredited, then uh, the government also offers um, wage top up to the employees. So depending on their level of education, they get additional pay. There's uh, scholarship programs. There's come back into one good thing that it does that we'll be hopefully drawing on is if you come back into childcare if you've been out six months or longer, there's uh, $2,500 after a year and another $2,500 after the second year. So we'll be able to use those incentives without it coming out of our pocket to try to get people back in and, and uh, working for us. So you talked about su subsidy. So so what is your full fee, and then what, what does subsidy mean? Our, our full fee runs from, for our full-time daycare, $725 to $975, depending on the age group, and our after-school program is 450 and subsidy is, it's based on the income of the parents, and it's not something that we control, but the parents have to apply directly to the provincial government for. Um, the most, the highest amount of subsidy is 546 a month. So, and most um, families that get subsidy get the full amount for full-time care, and it is 310 for after-school care. Great. Any further questions? Ms. Danks and her colleagues?
Okay, thank you, Ms. Jenks. Thank you. Hope to see you again soon. <laughs> So our uh, second presentation is from Alberta Health Services. So I think I've met all you gentlemen at one time or another, but if you can uh, just read your names into the record. And we'll give some introductions here. Great. <coughs> so uh, good evening, Your Worship, uh, ladies and gentlemen, Council. Uh, my name is Trevor Maslick. I'm the Executive Director for AHS EMS in the North Zone, clinical operations. So responsible for EMS, basically everything north of Highway 60. I have with me two gentlemen. Um, Aaron Thorson to my immediate right. He's the manager responsible for operations uh, in the Peace River region. And uh, to his right, um, Brian Nielsen, who is the director responsible for clinical operations in the Northwest. And uh, my understanding is that we were asked by Councillor Ford to provide a bit of information to Council regarding uh, response times to the city of, or sorry, to the town of Peace River, and um, a bit of understanding about the uh, response times as they relate to uh, co-response by the Peace River Fire Department, and maybe uh, go over some previous information we we provided Council. Now, there's a lot of new faces around this table, so... <laughs> Uh, may not be necessarily old information. So, so with that, and then after that, we're totally here to answer any questions that council might have. So, with that, I'll turn it over to Aaron. <coughs> Perfect. Good afternoon. So, um, I'll just start with a little bit of background, I guess. So, uh, our EMS service is based out of the, currently based out of the airport. Uh, we're moving into a new facility. We hope. Uh, for January 2016, and most of you are likely aware of that and have seen the work begun adjacent to the Peace River Hospital. Uh, out of the Peace River Airport, we run uh, basic life support as well as advanced life support ambulances. We also run uh, a paramedic response unit who responds uh, alone and in a rapid response vehicle to complement our response to the town and to the area. Um, <clears throat> So into the town of Peace River, we respond on roughly 60 uh, responses per month. Um, those 60 responses can be broken down into emergency and non-emergency responses, and roughly it's 40 emergency responses and 20 non-emergency uh, responses. Um, we also do 60 to 80 uh, inter-facility transfers out of the Peace River Hospital per month. Um, when we just look at the town and we look at, <coughs> excuse me, and we look at our response intervals, and just some definition around a response interval, it's from the time our dispatch receives the request for service to the time we arrive at the patient's side. And we measure that in a couple of different ways. We measure it by the 50th percentile and also by the 90th percentile. So the 50th percentile means that 50% of the time we're below that time and 50% of the time we're above that time. And right now that time is 9 minutes and 50 seconds for the residents of the town of Peace River. Um, and our 90th percentile 
also means that 90% of the time we're below that time and 10% we're above that time and for the town of Peace River that time is 13 minutes and 30 seconds. And we understand that council wanted to speak to us or likely have questions around uh, the medical first response program. So uh, just to start with that program is, is uh, Alberta Health Services does not track uh, responses by any co-response agency. We only track our own responses. So we can't speak a lot to uh, the Town of Peace River, uh, the fire department responses. But we do have a small snapshot of those responses. Um, shortly after uh, the Town of Peace River divested their ambulance services and they joined the medical first response program. So when we looked at that small snapshot, and that's roughly 50 events, 55% of the time the Peace River Fire Department was arriving on scene before us. 29% uh, of the time we arrived on scene before the Fire Department. And then 16% uh, of the time we were getting on scene roughly at the same time. But when we break that down further, when Peace River did arrive first on scene, 70% were for non-emergency events or for alpha calls. Um, and that is categorized by our dispatch center. 8% uh, of the time they arrived on scene first were for our delta and echo responses, which are considered life-threatening events. And then uh, uh, conversely, when AHS arrived on scene, only 15% of the time were for alpha calls. But when we arrived first on scene, 54% of the time were for Delta and Echo responses. So with that, uh, I guess we're open to answer any questions you might have about uh, our operations or the medical first response uh, program. <coughs> the other thing I'll add is that we do publicly post response times for the Town of Peace River on the AHS website. Um, the number of parameters, response times, and volumes. We've printed off some for council here for their convenience. So uh, you must have a target response time too, though, right? That's a really good question. <clears throat> so um, this is a question that Alberta Health Services has been struggling, EMS has been struggling with for okay. some time. Um, what's really, what's important for council to understand is that, yes, time is important, absolutely. Uh, what is really important for us is that we're providing the best care possible, right? So you can have the greatest uh, response time, 30 seconds, if you're, the care that you're providing and the level of service you're providing is subpar, then you really, you're no further ahead. So while response times are really important, uh, the level of service that we're providing and the fact that you can drive to any corner of this province right now and you'll get that same level of service, the same medical protocols and the same medical direction, these are some accomplishments that, that we established or uh, were proud of uh, that we attained in 2010, when, uh, one year after transition. Now, having said that, response times are important and the minister has uh, um, made some uh, requirements of AHS to establish some response time targets that take into consideration geography uh, and, um, and acuity of patients and strive to work towards those. We've not yet publicly uh, published those pieces. 
what's really important again is that uh, these standards, these these pieces, which we'll strive to work towards, need to be based on something, right? And they need to be based on uh, clinical evidence, like all medical protocols are and all policies that we have. It's always based upon medical evidence. The problem we have is that some time ago, 1976, that medical evidence was established at eight eight minutes or just under eight minutes in uh, Seattle, Washington. And it was only to do with cardiac arrest patients who we know only 1% of those people survive. So the data we have around the 859 that you may hear of and certainly in the metro environments is very antiquated, not based on any current evidence. And therefore, our, our medical uh, directors are trying to, fake, trying to work through the best medical evidence that we can based on things like STEMI or, or uh, heart attack patients and how important uh, the work that we do with heart attack patients in terms of bringing all the treatment that they have uh, prior to a cardiac arrest to their door, right? Those type of things we know we're making a huge difference, and it's those type of events where the medical directors, the physicians responsible for EMS in this province are utilizing to help establish a target. So we're close. Okay. Uh, Ms. Banky. You'll have to forgive my ignorance on this. I don't know much about co-response or response period. I actually hope I never really know much about it, but... Um, <laughs> So the response times that you gave us, the 9 minutes and the 13 minutes, I think, were them. Uh, that's an average for the re for our region, I'm assuming? Or what? Like, what is that time in like from where to where? Yeah. Are we just so talking just within the town of Peace River? Specifically okay. into the town, yeah. So then I'm – is it a safe assumption to make that those times will change with the relocation of your – base of operations yeah absolutely it is so uh, we we're pretty sure that we'll see response times drop by about three minutes to into the town of Peace River and to uh, east of the town wow three minutes that's a big chunk you'll have met your target by then <laughs> <laughs> we know what the target is <laughs> but you do serve there is a, a region, whoops, sorry, there is a region that you're responsible for. It's not just the town of Peace River, right? So then their response times will then increase, I'm assuming. Well, not necessarily. So we are looking at different options, uh, and one of them might be a unit stationed in the town of Grimshaw. Oh, okay. So when we do make that move, we don't know exactly what that looks like, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that, they're, they're, uh, that our response times would increase. Okay. I guess, uh, if I could, one of the things that we look at overall is certainly by community but we're also a provincial service so we look at the region where do we station ourselves to best serve the most people in that region and we look very closely at the communities the trends uh, the traffic patterns and things like that but the other advantage that we have since we moved provincial is uh, all of our ambulances are dispatched out of the same center so it would be the closest ambulance that's going to be responding to you so in many cases, it might be an ambulance that's in a travel corridor that is actually closer to the scene than the particular ambulance that might be stationed at the airport. So when we start looking at it in that type of uh, an environment, then we're able to uh, make some significant gains in response times in, in many areas, and, and then it's a benefit to a greater number of people. So it's kind of a live-time dispatch? Absolutely. Oh, okay. It's a moving target all the time. Oh, okay. And the trucks are all tracked by... By GPS, and GPS. Okay. yeah. 
so we know where they are. Oh, okay. Okay. Just in terms of the response times, and I guess I'm not sure how many months ago I saw something on CBC and it was on the internet. You know how people drive. People don't have to drive when the ambulance pulls up behind them. They do all kinds of stupid stuff. Is that something you guys are looking to to try to educate people what what they should do? And then the s second question, I attended a, a conference over in Fort McMurray, and they were talking about smart cities. And one of the things they're talking about is inter interrelating signal lights to facilitate traffic flow. And I, I think they talked about where you know, when the calls went out, the lights would switch to get the ambulances and fire trucks through. Now I. I Again, I understand that would cost a fair amount of money. Is that something the province is looking at to do that, to, to be able to deal with response times? Just remind me of your first question. We'll go in order. Uh, no, I forget. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, educating oh, yeah. drivers. So um, not necessarily something that we're really focusing our efforts on. Uh, I do know that Alberta Health Services works with uh, in, our, in our metro operations in Edmonton works with fire and Edmonton police uh, on a, on a, um, with a non-for-profit that really works to raise awareness around officer, EMS, firefighter, safety uh, in terms of uh, call-outs, right? And, and these are things like educating the public on, you know, keep your walk clean and <coughs> risks, hazards, uh, you know, fire load in a building and those type of things. And one of the things is is uh, what to do when an emergency vehicle comes behind you. So there is some work there, but we're not directly responsible for it or involved in it. In terms of the uh, um, sound-activated uh, lights, uh, this is something that generally is done through the municipality. And uh, I know that there was some work done in the metro environment in Edmonton by the fire department there to help um, increase, uh, decrease response times by synchronizing lights. It's, again, something that AHS EMS is not exploring, but certainly entertain discussions with the municipality that might want to look at something like that. If uh, the town of Peace River were to end co-response, uh, take that uh, program away from our Peace River Fire Department, what does that mean to AHS and the residents of Peace River? So in terms of our response times, but I, I, hope, I hope it makes it more clear, it wouldn't change our response times. In terms of the relationship uh, and the work that the Peace River Fire Department does, um, we encourage any municipality who is interested in a co-response relationship to work with AHS on that uh, because it's better for the patient, for sure. Right, at uh, any time that uh, you know it's a responder can get there um, and provide you know an open airway or stop some bleeding. Obviously, that's something that we support. Um, very early on in the AHS's genesis, the minister made it very clear that first response is not a responsibility of the EMS system, and that municipalities, uh, if they wanted to entertain a first response system, they're welcome to do that. Um, now, having said that, we do support first response in terms of training, in terms of quality assurance, and providing medical direction and protocols, and in terms of uh, even disposables, uh, medical equipment, those type of things. So in terms of uh, um, the events that uh, Aaron talked about regarding response times, um, it, it went over those pretty quickly. Uh, what we found when we took that small snapshot is that um, 
70% of the time where Peace River Fire responded first, it was on the lower priority calls. We can make some assumptions of why that is. Um, we follow a medical priority dispatch system, which says in a lower priority call, we don't want to put the public or our staff at risk, so we respond cold. I'm not sure of the policies of Peace River Fire in terms of their response and what that looks like. Um, the other the other piece is that um, the volume of calls that are done uh, by our, our station in Peace River are largely done during the day, right? Um, but certainly there's their volume at night, and my understanding is that Peace River Fire doesn't respond at night at all, and so obviously those responses wouldn't change. So in terms of the patient, um, the effect on patient care, I obviously can't predict the future and what that looks like. It's always good to be able to open an airway and stop, you know, and stop bleeding. Um, and I think that's something that council needs to consider going forward. Um, certainly, EMS services is not a responsibility of the municipality uh, unless they choose it to be as far as part of as far as providing a contract, entertaining a contract relationship, much like Peace Server had a few years ago. So it really is up to the, the town of Peace River in terms of the direction they'd like to go. I hope that answers your question. Any further? Sorry, respond cold. I'm assuming that's no lights, no siren? Okay. <laughs> So thanks, Julian. Just before you do run, then. Well, you have a question. Wow. I know. <laughs> I've had uh, residents at North Peace or at uh, Heritage Towers uh, pass comments along to me about, and I'm not sure whether it's a, uh, well, I guess it's a comment. So we end up with Peace River Fire Equipment on scene. We end up with your equipment on scene, and it's practically a traffic jam out in front of that building. And... Uh, I guess if I wanted the service, that would be great, but there seems to... So just explain to me the the protocols as to how we end up doing those things. Uh, why, I presume, if we have staff, if it's between now 8.15 and 4.30, we have staff, but if it's at night, it's a different kind of a response? Is that...? Yeah, no, that's correct. So... so uh, when a community decides to partake in the medical first response program, they have the option to decide uh, what events they want to respond on and when. So my understanding, and this is uh, legacy um, to my position, but uh, Peace River Fire Department chose to respond to all events from, I believe it's the hours from 0800 to 5, 5 p.m. or 6 p.m. So they get are dispatched to all events within the town of Peace River between those times, uh, and in the in the evenings um, and the early morning hours, uh, they aren't dispatched, but they're available to respond if we require them. So we can request them, and and they'll respond. Worship. One more comment. Um, just want to uh, reiterate or um, enlighten council in terms of the work that we've done with Peace River Fire since the divestment of EMS and the 
and the entering into a first response agreement and i think i'm compelled to tell you that there has been challenges in the relationship however chief bushy and i very committed to deal with any of those challenges and i'm very happy to report that we've dealt with a good amount of those chief bushy is definitely committed to supporting us in any relationship issues that we have with our frontline staff and my fellows tell me that certainly there is a marked difference in the relationship relative to police and fire or sorry ems and fire and you know that that largely goes to the commitment that chief bushy put forward in helping us solve those problems so well that brings up something that i my daughter used to work at the call center she's transferred now one of the things that she shared with me that piqued my interest on this is there were issues when they were both there in terms of who has responsibility and i've talked to others in other areas and it doesn't make any sense to me but can you explain how that works like you know who you know i know it makes a difference who's first and seeing when they turn over and all that kind of stuff but it just seems like there's issues where you know my assumption if you have the ems there it gets turned over and then the feature fire department would back off right away and it sounds like that wasn't happening maybe that's corrected now i don't know yeah i believe it is so we did struggle when peace river first divested and i think it was a little bit of understanding the new world and understanding each other's roles so it's clearly understood that albert health services is responsible for the patient period and that now and again doesn't it effective who's there in terms of their their training so if you have a and i don't understand like there's emts and emrs and paramedics so and i i'm assuming if town of peace had a paramedic they would assume full control if your guys showed up and they were only emts which that may not even be possible but is that how does that work yeah so we did have uh when the town of peace river had paramedics on the fire department we did have an understanding with the fire department that if our response unit was basic life support and there was a paramedic on scene that they would continue to lead patient care operating under our protocols and accompanying uh transport of the patient to the hospital um the paramedics that were there were also alberta health service is employees and i believe currently there's one paramedic and she is an employee of alberta health services as well um we have changed our response parameters out of the peace river station and that we have a pru now which is a paramedic which is advanced life support rapid response unit and it is staffed uh 24 hours a day they're 12 hour shifts spaced out of the station and that unit responds on every event unless there's a higher priority event and they get redirected to that higher priority event so uh the chances of that happening in the future are are quite slim okay all right thank you any further questions because i've already called this <laughs> presentation twice so this is it gentlemen thank you do you have some sheets to leave for us he said
Okay, uh, like Cardinal Regional Economic Development, Mr. Albert Cooper. No need to read your record into the into the podcast, Mr. Cooper. I think everyone knows you, even by your voice. <laughs> Thank you uh, for the invitation to come before you and to speak a little bit about uh, the Lac Cardinal Economic Development Board. I think um, it's important that I start with how we work, and I know this may be repetitive, but I do find that uh, there is a lot of confusion about our approach to economic development. So first, in terms of membership, each of the participating councils uh, nominate a rep who sits on our board. Secondly, each of the chambers within our region are invited to um, have reps on the board, and in some cases that's one, in some cases that's two. And then we have members at large, which um, we try to bring in people who, who fill out the expertise level of the board. So, for example, on the last board uh, this last year, we had a member who was uh, an expert in agriculture who would not have normally come from either the chamber or from our councils. The other key element is that the individual members of the board choose the projects and the priorities, and they are expected to take the lead on whatever project or priority they put forward. So what we do, uh, and we're in that process right now, Each of the members of the board will identify the issues or projects that they think should be pursued over the next period of time. So I assume in the case of the councils, and certainly that's been the the way it's worked in the past, is that the councillors will uh, talk with their council and reflect that council's view back (coughs) into those priorities. Uh, As I indicated, each of the board members is to provide a lead role on that particular project. If there are issues, difficulties, problems, then at that point I as chair or other members of the board will step in to help them. So basically what we make sure is that we have leadership on a project, that that project is followed up, and that we have backup or support for anybody working on a specific project. Each month, we do a roundup or a round table, around the table, I guess I should say. And what we do at that point is examine each of the projects that have been priorized, and we do a check on where that particular project is at, if it's moving ahead, if it's having difficulty, uh, if it needs help, or if, in fact, you know, it is not going to work in the end and whether it should be abandoned. I like to think that we take a big-picture approach, but very much a very specific focus on delivery. So in other words, we look at the broad needs of our region, but we are very specific in the projects that we pursue to achieve the goals and and aspirations of a particular region. Uh, One of the issues that had come up when Peace River Uh, joined us for the six-month experiment was the question of a name change, and the board is uh, open to that, and that certainly can be dealt with in the future. 
I think another area that we've identified as being an issue, certainly I have identified as an issue, is we need to step up our communications. I think we have tended to uh, rely on individual board members to report back to their particular group or, or uh, community. But in fact, um, we probably need to communicate on a broader scale what, what the board is looking at so that people understand what we are actually trying to do. Specifically in terms of Peace River, and I know that's uh, one of the questions that council is concerned with, there are several uh, projects, I guess, that we are looking at that have been identified over the last little while. The first uh, is affordable housing and multi-family housing. Uh, there is work going on on that issue right now. Uh, Councillor Sawchuk and myself have been doing considerable amount of work on it. And I should say that uh, one of our builders, who we have worked with uh, in the past, and I've introduced them to council in the past, that's Jandal Homes, are going to be in this Wednesday uh, to relook at the area to consider some of the projects we've been talking with them over the last few months about. And in I'm going to bring them to uh, the town reception on Wednesday night so that any of you that have specific questions uh, will have an opportunity to talk directly to them. We are seeing progress in that area. Uh, we have, as you know, I think all of us, been waiting for some of the developments uh, to come online that would provide multi-family or uh, affordable housing opportunities. But I also believe that if we can in identify the infill land opportunities within the community, that will allow us to push things further faster. And that was very helpful in Berwyn and Grimshaw. So uh, hopefully we can achieve that. The second goal we had looked at is that um, there's a strong feeling that as Peace River develops as a service centre, one of the things that we need is an additional uh, retail presence within the community. I think traditionally the way that you would do that or approach that is to go after individual businesses and try and persuade them to open in town or dealing with people that might come through your door that are interested in establishing a business. Uh, I took a slightly different approach to that and began to work through the people I know and the the uh, projects that I know. And um, basically what I've done is identified um, a number of examples of what I think we'd like to see in this community. Uh, best examples of that probably are South Common in Edmonton. Uh, you've got the 137th Avenue um, retail strip, I'll call it, in Edmonton. And then um, a smaller example of that would be what you have in Slave, Slave Lake along the highway. So what I began doing, um, I think it's a couple months ago now, was making phone calls, tracking down developers, uh, talking to them about whether or not they would be interested in coming to Peace River and provide that kind of project. Uh, since then, again, Councillor Sawchuk and I have uh, been working on it. We are now at the point where we have three different developers uh, considering Peace River for such an option. 
Now, I have to tell you, when I first started making those phone calls, um, I have to admit it was pretty discouraging. I was not getting a lot of positive feedback. And the big reason is these guys are all so busy. Like one of the ones we're talking about or talking to is engaged in a very large project in Cochrane. And my understanding is Cochrane has something like 2,000 housing starts a year. Well, we have a tough time competing with that. But the reality is we have a good market. We have uh, a lot of people who would support retail, and it's certainly far beyond uh, the population measurement of the town of Peace River and extends, I think, through the northwest. So we've gone from kind of discouraging news to where we now have three different developers who are considering that option. Um, Councillor Sawchuck and I asked Kelly to deal with them in terms of some more detailed questions that they had about the area and about the land that we had said we thought might fit for what they're doing. And Kelly sent me an email today saying that at least that conversation has taken place and there will be more information going back and forth. So I don't know what our chances of success on that are, but I do know that um, we certainly are moving it forward and the fact that we have three different developers um, expressing some interest, then I'm hopeful that we can persuade them to um, go a little further down the road. What we're after right now is to get them into the community. And what we do and what we've done in the past with anybody we're trying to attract to the community or to the region, we give them, we take a day and we give them a complete tour of the region and let them assess for themselves what's going on in the region, the activity, the opportunity, where the community and the region is going. And um, even though that is, I would say, expensive, certainly in terms of time, um, it has paid off in ACES. We've had very good success when we've done that. And so that's where we're, we're trying to go with the three developers we're working with at the moment. The other one is uh, downtown revitalization. And again here, um, we're looking at the empty spaces. And we have really two kinds of empty spaces. We have buildings that are empty, and we have land that is empty. So right now, um, we are, Councillor Sachuk and I, um, working to attract um, some more housing opportunities into the downtown area. And then ultimately, we hope that we can... Uh, work on those vacant buildings and find people who would be willing to move into them. Um, in terms of attracting actual people down through housing opportunities that may exist in the downtown core, um, I think that we have a, a better chance of success on. And we should know fairly soon because uh, we're going to show them very shortly what kind of land is available and what kind of opportunities exist. And um, we have an indication that they do want to proceed with more development within the town of Peace River. Another area of uh, interest specifically is the regional relationships. And I think at this point, from a board standpoint, um, there have been two priorities that we had identified as being economic opportunities and economic drivers within the, within the community. The first is the airport. Uh, it's no secret that we believe that should be an economic driver in the region. 
And thank God it has become that. And I know that from having my own business there and currently um, allowing CBO to use my hangar to provide the the uh, air aircraft de-icing and so on and um, for Shell. So I'm already seeing the impact that Shell has had on our airport and it certainly goes much beyond them. So it has become an economic uh, driver and, and we're very thankful for that. The second part in terms of regional relationships is the West Hill. And any of you who have uh, driven west of town in the last I don't know, not very long. I mean, that is changing so rapidly. We have uh, developments uh, that are, you know, were started not many months ago and now are completed. We have others that um, are in process and we have still more land that is uh, being brought on. So clearly uh, a lot of opportunity and activity there. I should have said on the airport, um, we have Councillor Sawchuk working on it and Bob Willings, the rep from the MD of Peace. Uh, both of those are, are focusing on the airport issues. On the West Hill, uh, those same two gentlemen, as well as George Leger, and George's involvement uh, started because of his uh, relationship, family relationship to uh, the Quinnies, who had developed quite a bit of that uh, land on the north side of the West Hill. So we continue to track that, uh, encourage it, and do whatever we can to uh, see that area grow. And I don't have to tell you, you all know that one of the issues we face up there is having services come up to the airport, which would really open up uh, that whole West Hill. I mentioned earlier the need to identify um, vacant land. I must say that we, when we first, when I first started on this board, uh, I felt that Grimshaw was particularly challenged in that we were waiting for developers to bring lots on before we could identify or before we could move ahead on the whole issue of housing. So that's when I asked for the inventory of vacant lands, and I have to say we were. Uh, to put it mildly, shocked at the volume of land that is sitting within our communities, uh, virtually all zoning designations, that is not being uh, used at all or in some cases uh, has very dilapidated buildings that, that should be replaced. When we got the inventory uh, for Grimshaw and Berwyn and the MD, uh, it triggered uh, a fair amount of activity and allowed us to move ahead without having to wait for further uh, development of lots. So I think that is critical. It really does open up opportunity. And if you think of it as you drive around the community with the thought of what land is vacant, what land is available, what land could we do something with, um, I know I was, and I suspect you will be, pleasantly surprised at how many opportunities exist before we even see these new developments come on stream. The other thing is uh, we started the establishment of a business directory. Um, it isn't complete, and I guess it will never be complete because hopefully there's more businesses arriving all the time, so it's going to require uh, constant updating. 
I found it interesting in the um, document that I received from council. Uh, I, I don't know if it's part of your strategic plan or what it was, but one of the things that you had identified there was the concept of uh, making Peace River a regional, or no, I, I think regional is maybe the right word, um, educational hub. And I want to tell you specifically what we are working on in that area. Uh, we identified, uh, and this was before Peace River was on the board, uh, we had a very strong feeling that one of the issues we face in the region is an aging business community. Uh, we knew of several businesses that unless somebody buys them or somebody uh, looks at taking them over, we're going to start losing businesses. And I know, you know, with all my gray hair, I can look back in this community and just think of how many business folks we've already lost and they haven't been replaced. So we identified that as an issue and we felt what we had to do was to work on trying to um, have an entrepreneurial spirit become part of our education process. So we have met with um, both school boards, both the Catholic school board and the public school boards, and we expressed uh, what we were interested in. And I'm here to report that they responded um, very, very positively. So what we've been doing over the last few months is putting together a program where uh, that entrepreneurial spirit will be in some way reflected in our schools. And what we want to add to that now, of course, is to make sure that Lakeland College is a part of that, which I think goes to what council's been trying to do in terms of a hub. That's Northern Lakes College. Sorry. <laughs> I'm behind the I times. <laughs> yes. Um, and so that want to bring them in on that conversation. Um, what, just to give you a couple of ideas of what that entails is, first of all, a mentor program. We have a lot of very talented business people in this region who could readily challenge, excite, and educate our young people about the opportunities for business. And then secondly, uh, we would like to encourage um, that business be considered as a career option because right now that's not the case. Uh, you know, you're encouraged to get education for any number of, of things, but business is almost never uh, part of that process. And, you know, it's really simple. If you don't have business in your communities, you don't have jobs. And if you don't have jobs, you don't have everything that we all come to depend on. And, for example, uh, concepts like childcare. Uh, if, if the funding isn't there for that sort of thing, which comes from the creation of jobs, then it's very difficult to provide that service. The other thing, uh, just in closing, that um, I would add is um, our board, even though it's been around for several years, has undergone a pretty dramatic change about a year ago. Uh, when I stepped into the role of, of chair, I must say that I was uh, coming to that role with a lot of frustration because I felt that we just were not making progress. We were not getting targeted results. Uh, we were not really moving it ahead. 
So uh, we changed the model, and I, I now believe that we are making progress. We are getting results. And the majority of the board certainly uh, uh, is supportive of that model and are putting the energy and effort into it to make it work. So I think, uh, you know, the next year is, again, a bit of an experiment. And uh, I know there's discussions as to whether we should have a one-year contract, a two-year contract, a five-year contract. Uh, economic development takes time. But to me, if we're doing a good job as a board, we're not going to have to worry about whether or not our contract gets renewed for a second year. And we very much are uh, creatures of the four councils, and it really is up to them to uh, decide whether we're good value for money. I guess uh, from where I sit, I think we are. And it certainly is because of the members of the board who, uh, in my view, have really stepped up. They've, they've grabbed this issue by the horns, and they are uh, providing really good leadership. So I thank you for the time, and I'd be happy to try and uh, answer any questions that anybody may have. Questions? I've either put you to sleep or... No, uh, <laughs> no. that's good. So, uh, I'll, I'll ask a question. So you mentioned the developers that you have um, been trying to attract and that you thought you'd had um, three in particular that were quite interested. Those three um, were, can you say, in what aspect, like housing or... Oh, sorry, the, when I referred to the number three, it was specifically in, re in relationship to developing a retail, um, how do I call it, a retail region or, or uh, blocks. Um, and the three of them are, are really interesting because each of them represents quite a different scale. One is a very large scale. Uh, one is a, what I would call a more medium scale. And then the third one was really at the lower or smaller end of the scale. But what we're trying to persuade them is that you know, now's the time to invest in Peace River. This community is changing. It is growing. It has uh, and serves a very large area. And if we could attract that kind of development, it will increase our, uh, our uh, what's the word I'm looking for, the numbers of people who come into this community for service. So Now, I, I will say, Every one of those people that I deal with uh, really have said to me initially, yeah, we're not really interested. Uh, we got so much more uh, going on than we can handle. Uh, we don't know if Peace River is going to work. But it's interesting. Um, they keep asking more questions. So that tells me they are a little more serious than they'd like me to believe. But I, I do put it still in the category of... Um, it's going to be a challenge to complete it. So the uh, okay, the structure of um, like Cardinal Development Group. So you have a board and you have reps from each of the municipalities, plus some members at large, and then underneath that you have an EDO and more support staff, or just an EDO or. Uh, we did have an EDO. 
um, and she uh, moved on to a higher paying job uh, in the fall. Right. So we have uh, gone into the market to look for another EDO. We did have uh, five applications, and it has been narrowed down to one, but we have not yet made a final decision. And so we will be doing that uh, fairly shortly, but we just want to take some time to reflect and make sure that the candidate that we have uh, will fit in with us. I want to say that because of our model, it does change the role of the EDO. Like prior to this model with the board, you know, the, my understanding is, and I, I guess I should say more than my understanding because I did participate for about uh, three meetings before I became the chair, is what was happening is the board members would come in and they would bounce around their ideas and then basically say to the EDO, okay, get them. You go do that. Well, unfortunately, there was a lot of frustration because they kept changing the targets. And that was the frustration I was feeling as I sat there as a board member and tried to address with our new model uh, when I took over the chair. So we no longer do that. We are very targeted. We know exactly what we're going to be working on. And that will only change if there's a new issue that's identified and that the uh, individual who identifies it and the board really feel that uh, it should be moved up the priority list. Right. So, um, and you, well, you seem to allude to it. Um, you, that, well, you, when you spoke about your frustration on getting on the board, um, things were somewhat disorganized. So, it, to me, it does um, suggest that it's people that make an organization. So, uh, you're looking at an EDO, you talked about being a creature of the municipalities. Um, I haven't seen the constitutional like cardinal board, um, but I would, I'd, I'd certainly, and, and this is just me speaking as an individual, I would be hoping that we, the, the municipal councils would be able to ratify any selection of an EDO. Um, I think you're a small enough organization. I, I understand that with Brita, where it has 20, 30 members, that might not be really all that realistic to do a ratification on on a selection. But uh, uh, so, so I don't, I don't. Perhaps it's already in your constitution. <laughs> yeah, at this point, the constitution or the bylaws allow the board themselves to make the selection and the decision. So it would require. Uh, going back and, and rewriting those um, um, regulations or bylaws. Um, it is certainly fair to say, though, that um, I not only look for consensus, but I look for unanimity. And we very rarely have split votes because we do take the time to talk things through. And I think this is an example that originally... Um, we were ready to move ahead with a specific candidate, but I did identify some concerns, and so um, I was able to stop the process, slow it down, give us all to have time for sober second thought. Right. Um, uh, so, what, what, 
In terms of support staff for the CDO, how do you manage that? Well, up until now, we have not had support staff, but I would like to see us um, actually add some support for an EDO and for the board. I know I'm feeling it particularly right now without an EDO. A lot of that administrative stuff is falling onto my inbox, and unfortunately not very many or much of it is making it into the outbox. So clearly I I think we do need to do that. And uh, it was my hope that, um, you know, we might have discussions, for example, with the Chamber of Commerce here in town and see if we could arrange uh, to share a staffer for so many hours a week. Uh, We've had initial talks about that, but we certainly have not uh, come to any formal uh, process or agreements on that at this point. But I think we do need some support staff. I'm also under the well. I well, I view it this way, but uh, and I get the impression from your presentation you view it this way is that the centerpiece of this economic development area is is really the airport. It's a regional asset. So, uh, are there any uh, considerations to um, basically basing the EDO out of the airport, since that's a kind of a common interest for all four municipalities? I. Um I've had that raised with me. Uh, unfortunately, it was raised after the last board meeting. Okay. Um, certainly, I don't see any objection to that. Uh, currently, we're using an office in the um, uh, recplex in, in Grimshaw. Uh, I don't believe we pay any rent on it or any okay. utilities, so that's kind of nice. So you know where I'm going with this. Right. But Okay, uh, you can stay there. <laughs> yeah, we'd certainly consider it. <laughs> Quick uh, question, uh, Albert. Just back to your some of your project stuff, and I uh, I was listening carefully. The uh, the one that piqued my mind, but I wasn't clear about the, the business directory. And you did say it was was ongoing. So, a forestry focus, an oil and gas focus, a retail focus. Uh, I'm just trying to understand how this is different than a set of yellow pages. And I'm I'm sure you've got a quick answer. Or what what was the purpose of the business directory? It is not a focus document. It is to be reflective of business in the area, whether they uh, serve oil and gas or forestry, it doesn't matter. What we wanted was a document that we could give to any business that came into our community and say, look, here's where you can get your local service. And I'll just give you an example. Um, A company that I mentioned earlier that I'm dealing with uh, had some issues with equipment this past week. Now, had we have had that directory completed, it would have been the ideal document to say, here, here are your local businesses who can fix your equipment, can address that electrical issue or that hydraulic issue. So that's what it's, it's really for and about. <coughs> Other questions? So, um, oh. so, so you appeared before us probably a year ago and just talked about the concept of Light Cardinal. And I think in that you talked about your vision of the Light Cardinal Development Group and and I think you touched a little on it now. But could you you speak to that again as to your your vision around the uh, Light Cardinal Economic Development Group? Well, we haven't um, drafted a specific vision that I can quote to you. But I can say there are two driving forces uh, 
in terms of everything that we do. Number one, we believe that the bottom line is jobs. We believe that no community exists without jobs, and a community that is losing jobs is dying as a community. So, number one, everything has to be measured by jobs created and opportunities created. Uh, the second one is, and I should have written it down because it was brilliant and now I'm going blank. <laughs> um, I think the second one is that we focus, um, I use the term, don't use a shotgun approach to economic development, use a rifle approach. And what we have found is when we have very much focused in and when we have those conversations, business person to business person, it makes all the difference in the world. For example, one of the projects we are currently working on, at one point, uh, the board member that was responsible for that came to me and said, they've lost interest, they're pulling out, they're not going to come in. So I asked him to come to my office, and we immediately got on the phone and got a hold of the president of that company and the principal of that company. And basically, I argued with him as a business person for about an hour, hour and a half. And at the end of the conversation, he said, okay, I'll go back and think about it. Well, they're here now. So that's really what we think is significant, that we do that. It's too easy to get caught up. Um, Baker used to say, you know, big game hunters don't get distracted by rabbit tracks. And I think too often we get distracted by rabbit tracks. And if we are very specific in the tracks we're following, we have a much better chance of success. Okay. 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 Uh, any other questions? I have Go one. Yep. You mentioned the land inventory for Peace River. Yeah. That's in the works or that's completed? My understanding is it's in the works. I'm not exactly sure what stage it's at, but I think we're pretty close to getting it. So that, that I think, will help us a lot. And, I, you know, I mentioned bringing uh, Jandell in on, on Wednesday. And first thing uh, we're going to do is go look at some of the vacant land in the downtown region, core, whatever you want to call it, uh, because I'd like to see them involved in, in this uh, particular area. Okay. Okay. Great. Thank make you. Sure you oh, make please. sure you take them behind Misery Mountain. We... Uh, we, the taxpayers of Peace River, share a quarter of land back there, so I presume you know that, or perhaps they know that. If you, if you don't, you do now. <laughs> Actually, um, when I first uh, had them come up, uh, we spent a day here, as, as you may remember, we brought them in to meet with you. Yeah. Uh, we did look at, at that land, and we looked at the developments that are going on in that area, as well as what's happening out in uh, east of town. And in Berwyn, Grimshaw, and the MDs. So, yeah, we are aware of it and um, constantly looking for opportunities that we can show people. Thank you. Can I let Mr. Cooper go now? Thank okay. you. Great, thanks. And we'll take a uh, 10 minute recess. Welcome, uh, Ms. Bench and Ms. Modi. So what you have before you today is the um, proposed off-site levy bylaw, and we're providing council with a copy of the bylaw and um, a process for the public consultation that's required. 
So what we're asking for is basically uh, first reading of the bylaw to um, get the process started and to authorize administration to start the consultation process outlined in the report. Um, so, um, so you got a background, you provided the Corvus report that was, uh, the Corvus report becomes part of the bylaw. Oh, and it, it was actually a, becomes part it, of the bylaw. It actually becomes part of the bylaw. So the administration did undertake a review of the offsite levy rates model that was, um, in the previous bylaw or in the current bylaw, I should say. And we looked at uh, the municipal infrastructure that's needed to support the future growth of the town. And Greg Weiss of uh, Corvus Business Advisors was retained and he helped us through that process. Right. Um, okay, uh, I'll leave it open for questions. Uh, Questions? Any discussion? This is first reading, and it just meant. This is first reading to put it on the books and to start the process of consulting the development community and the public. Okay, Mr. Burr. So I believe that the Corvus report was presented to Council Registry near the end of May, and I missed that council meeting. Is there anything other than the report and the excellent dialogue and questions that would have asked that I would have missed that I need to become fully informed on this? He presented that report at that meeting. And there was no other information that was presented that's relevant then? Not not no. yet, no. Okay. The the one the one part is the is the discussion we've had with legal counsel. Right. Uh, that that may be of interest, and uh, our legal counsel, I think, is available tonight. Is that correct? Yes. If we if we wanted to ask them any questions, but it the the question revolved around um, now that we have this bylaw in place, what what is our flexibility with respect to uh, the rates and and the bylaw itself? And in a nutshell, the response was that you really, now that you're in the process, you really don't have a lot of options to get out of the process. Um, I think is a kind of the, the sum, summation of it. So, but but she could certainly speak in more detail if council wanted that. So that begs the question for me. So you're proposing that the bylaw, that the new rates would become effective the date the bylaw is passed. That's correct. Could we make the rates, could we, let's say everything works according to plan, because you had a schedule there, I can't find it, but. Was, the schedule is flexible. Oh, okay, so we could have the rates come into effect uh, January 1st, 2016. No. No. Uh, that, sorry, that is in the Corvus report on the last page, page 33. And it does say that it should be noted that a three-year transition strategy would require the town to subsidize the discounted portion of the rates. Should the wish 
should the town wish to adopt a tr transition strategy, it is recommended that t the town seek advice from its legal advisor as to the implementation, implementation requirements and required timing of subsidization. <laughs> nope, somebody else say that word for me. Subsidization? <laughs> Payments, if any. Thank you. Okay, but I mean, aren't we already doing that, subsidizing, because we're at a rate that's been pegged since 2008? So, I mean, that wouldn't be a big change. My my point is to slam it all in in one shot, you're bumping those offsite levy rates fairly large in one. The current bylaw requires that the town review the rates every two years. 2013 was the second kick at it. They weren't. I think 2011 was the first one, yep. and the rates were not increased at all that um, review during that review process. Mm -hmm. So the rates are still the same rates that were in effect in 2009. So 2013 was the next year that the was it 2013 that the bylaw was to be reviewed. So we did it in May, April of or April May of 2014. So the next two year period would be 2015. Right, and it wasn't it wasn't dealt with in 2013 either, was it? So no. we're still sitting at, that's what we're I'm saying. We're still sitting at 2009 rates. Right, and for us to meet what this report is saying, that's going to be a substantial jump, right, in one year. I think the, the difference, though, what they're, when they talk about subsidization, they're, yeah, they're actually talking about dollars that the town would, in fact, anytime we get a development, mm -hmm. we would take the difference between the, these rates and the new rates and literally take that money and put it into a reserve, into the offsite development reserve. We're not, that's not happening now. Right. We're still operating on the old bylaw rate. So my thought was just this. So, uh, so the, Really, the rate's going to jump for, in round figures, $60,000 per hectare to $80,000 per hectare. That's so if we were to uh, make the rate effective January 1st, 2016, that would actually stimulate growth because people would go, let's get in there now while the rates are cheap. And then... Uh, and then people that come after decide that they're going to delay their project, well, they'll be paying the the the, the fee of $80,000 per hectare. These might be questions that uh, our legal counsel would be able to better answer. So you, do you think that's a legal question, though? I, I to phase it and how you proceed? I don't know, Kelly. I'll leave that. The... In our discussions, we've had two or three phone conversations, and what what they're what they're suggesting to us is that because there's a legal requirement to collect the offsite levy for the projects that we've identified based on the estimates, that as soon as we do that, it becomes our responsibility to collect them, and that if we didn't do that, we may be open to challenge by the general public or possibly developers that may have paid in the past. That was her interpretation, I think, is, is what she's been telling us. So um, the, the conversations haven't left us what we thought was a lot of room. 
and that's why we've asked her to to be available for questioning if council so required. They also we've also asked them if we move to these when we move to the public consultation, whether they'd be available for those uh, sessions. And she, I think, has agreed that she would try and fit that into her schedule as well. I have two questions on this. Um, we just uh, made a motion allowed a, de a developer to pay the off-site levies at, at the point of sale or development. So the bylaw allows for us to make that on an exception basis, correct? So they have to ask for that? Correct. Okay. And um, just... I didn't get through all of this. I'm, I'm not going to lie. Um, is it stipulated clearly in there that that is something they can do? Are they told they can do that? or Because I, mean, I guess what I'm trying to do is if we're going to do a $20,000 jump on our off-site levies, I don't want people looking at that and just walking away from, from potential development. Because I've talked to two developers, and, and this is a big concern for them. So... Uh, I guess how how do we sort of balance? Like I know the mayor has come up with one suggestion that may or may not work. You know, I'm just looking at how how we can still encourage development if we end up having to do this increase. And the second question I have, and it's it's not critical to this, is just from my own thinking. I don't know hectares. I only know acres. <laughs> so what would this be? Two point five. Two point five. Yeah. Two and a half. Divide basically. it by two point five yeah. times it. Two point four seven acres in a hectare. So a, a rough number on an acre is between twenty and twenty-five thousand, depending on what area you're in. Twenty to twenty-five thousand per acre. Yeah. Okay. So I guess that's I guess that's my question is is how are we addressing the the options for payment of the offsite levies in in the new bylaw? Has that been changed or is it just I'm trying to get to that right so, now? So the the off site levy bylaw, or, or sorry, the developer's agreement allows us to take it at subdivision, sale, or development. But if if it's agreed to defer, then they will pay whatever rate is in place at the time when they make the payment. I guess the option is in there clear that they, if they want this, they have to ask us for it, right? Yeah, but they still end up paying the eighty thousand or whatever. I guess, I guess the only argument is though it's not an upfront cost, right? So they can recover yeah. that at the point where they're actually generating revenue off of their development, as opposed to it just being a sole expense. That that is uh, that is why we've offered it out to developers for that reason. But then again, the risk is that the rates are going are potentially going to be higher. Yeah, the genesis of that pay at point of sale was like there are individuals that are caught that are sitting inside a development area you know they bought a home they're raising their family of eight kids on it uh, and they're part of an overall area that once the development goes through i.e. a road goes down their down their lane they're now stuck with a hundred thousand dollar bill that wasn't part part of their part of living the dream as far as they were concerned so no and I yeah I understand I understand where this originally came from uh, for sure but I also think that I mean if we are looking to want to encourage people to develop in our community making it well and I, avoiding making it more cumbersome and more difficult and more expensive to them 
just by working with them in this means, to me, I think speaks volumes rather than just saying, no, this is the way it is and this wasn't meant for you. This was meant for, you know, the residences that got caught up in a, in a commercial zoning. I, I guess I'm just looking at this as, you know, we are going to be the most expensive place to develop well, in I, terms of off-site I, levies. I'll tell you, the legal advice on that was no, don't do it. Well, don't don't do the uh, point of sale. That was actually written into the bylaw as an amendment in 2013. Yeah. What, what was the point of sale point or development? Of sale, yes. Yeah. I, I mean, and that's fine. Our legal advice can tell us that, but I mean, our lawyers aren't looking to develop our town either. I realize that it's it's cumbersome for the town staff to monitor that, and I realize there's a risk associated with it. But if we don't have the de development, we won't have the tox tax dollars that are associated with that development. So I think it has to be a bit of give and take, and that's all I'm that's all I'm trying to say here. Is I would like to see us look at how we can work with development in our community as opposed to deter it to our municipal neighbors who may or may not have um, these types of fees. You know, we were at chamber on last Wednesday, and Northern Sunrise flat out said, you know, everything looks better on the East Hill. And, you know, I, for one, don't necessarily want to see everything go to the East Hill. I want to look at what we can retain in the Town of Peace River. Making it harder for developers to develop in the Town of Peace River doesn't makes it a whole lot easier for them to take it up to the East Hill. So that's all I'm saying. But the question I had with that, and didn't have the nerve to ask it, is how much is the county subsidizing that? Like, I mean, that's Someone's got to pay those development those, those development costs to provide sewer and water, whatever services are being provided there. And but if we don't, if we if it's not the developer that pays it, then it's going to be the citizens at large. And I don't, I don't know that people want to do that. Well, and I, I guess that's neither here nor there. I'm not saying that we don't need to look at how we recover our costs. I'm saying look at how we recover our costs. The East Hill might have every ability to absorb that. They may make that decision. The whole thing I'm trying to say is is that they're, they will actively try to. And if it's cheaper, it's a whole lot more um, financially feasible for people to develop up there. So I'm just looking at if we have to charge this because we can't afford to subsidize it, which we all know we're not in a position to do, how do we then make it still attractive or somewhat attractive for these developers to develop within the town of Peace River as well? And, and I think that change of our bylaw where we've got the two options, I think, if you were to speak to a developer, I think you'll find they're quite happy with that, and that's somewhat speculative on my part. But no, I don't. I, no, I don't I, think that's speculative. I've had that I, brought I, up to I me. Think, as I think they view that as a very positive. Yeah. Um, the I guess the, the concern is, is can they still do it, and how hard is it for them to do it? Is it going to be a battle every time they want to ask us for that? So I realize the way the bylaw is set up right now, they do have to ask for it, and it comes down to a, a seven-person vote as to whether or not we allow it, but. I'm just saying that's something I think we need to give some consideration to. Typically, at your worship at the uh, at the public event, uh, it's invitational. So you you see uh, the developers. Not you, we obviously know the target audience, so we would make sure that the appropriate audience is there and uh, elected officials. Is that? There like would be what? an extensive advertising campaign. There would be letters to the developers. There'd be, we would try to get as many people as possible. So it's a presentation workshop uh, That's input the idea, sort of yes. session. Okay. And then a question of and answer at the end. So can we also do what we did similar to the uh, 
off highway uh, vehicle bylaw and the noise bylaw and have a uh, allow people to uh, basically 60 day review and comment period so people can actually write letters in comments in via the internet the comments is part of the process right yeah. but we structured the noise bylaw and the old OHV bylaws so that they could read it on the internet and uh, and actually submit comments on a form, I think. We can look at doing that, absolutely. I have a question, Mr. Mayor. Um, Mr. Brown, you mentioned that the town would have to um, put cash cash aside in certain circumstances. Can you just enlarge that because I'm not understanding. So what, what we've been advised by legal counsel is is that once a rate is set, so the bylaw is approved, then that money for that development area, if it's in the plan, has to actually go into our off-site levy reserve. So if the developer isn't paying that amount, then the town would have to, because the off-site levy is a, is a statutory requirement. So we can't just say, um, for example, there should be $100,000 owing off this piece of property, but we're only going to charge the developer 50. We're going to have to put the other 50 into that. And that would apply if there was a, uh, a three-year buy-in kind of rate as right. well? Right. Okay, thank you. So, Your Worship, I just wonder maybe if uh, Kelly can share, like you said you talked to a lawyer, there's some discussion. I, I guess I'd like to get the play-by-play of, of that discussion, what what were the questions you asked, and what were the responses? The, really, we we're based on council's first conversation around this issue. We were wondering what flexibility we had with respect to um, uh, cha changing it to uh, to maybe better fit the business community, the developers. So that was really the nature of our questions: was what options do we have? We, we put the bylaw in, is there anything else that we can do? And we've, I think, we had two or three phone conversations uh, with all of us present, and uh, she, she indicated to us that she was going and, and trying to get other options from the rest of her staff as well, but at the end of the day, there was no new options. So that's kind of where we've left, we, you know, we've been left sitting with it, and that's why we've asked her to be available if council wants to ask her questions or if they want to ask her questions at the open house. Um, she's more than willing to do that. But our understanding from anything she's told us is we really don't have a lot of flexibility here. And we, we have a, uh, a specific development that involves uh, uh, kind of a single parcel owner, and we've been looking for options around that because I think we all <coughs> we all think that maybe um, it's a little I don't know if unfair is the right word but certainly penalizing and um, we don't have any options for that one either so that's kind of where it's at so we set the so it sounds like we don't set the uh, the off-site levy we, we set it to the extent we have to identify, and we have a responsibility to identify what we believe will be our upcoming projects over 10 years. Is it a 10-year window or 25? 
2025. So we have a responsibility to do that. Okay. Um, and if and we're told by legal counsel that it actually has to be a fair representation. So you can't just say, well, we're only going to do one project in 25 years because that leaves you open for your taxpayers to come back and say, you're not charging enough off-site development levies, therefore I, as a taxpayer, am going to have to pay more money. So we, we'd be open to that challenge. <laughs> and then we have to determine as best to our ability as to how these new developments, uh, what percentage they would benefit from the new development. And it's very specific. It's roads, water, sewer. And it's, it's main infrastructure associated that will um, enhance or support or improve these new developments. So when you and it's quite a complicated formula process. That's what the Corvus is, very very detailed process. But when you go through at these, for the numbers that were spit out at the end. So you're obligated to accept those numbers. No, I I don't know if we're obligated to accept them. We're obligated to. Um, to have a very, very strong case as to why we wouldn't accept it. Okay. So th there is a specific list of what's in and what's out. And I, Correct. so that I seem to recall the Corvus discussion again, we had a discussion about the CN line crossing at, at 3.5 or 6 million, whether it was yeah. in or out. So, yeah, um, and it's, it's in. It's in, right. Okay. Yeah. And again, the, the theory of the off-site levy is to spread those costs over all users so that it's... it's Yeah, it's to spread it over over new developments that are going to benefit from that same infrastructure right. so that all the cost isn't applied to the to the current taxpayer. The, the guys that are coming on that will benefit should also right. theoretically so, pay a portion. Right. So is, is it... Someone in an older neighborhood, an older taxpayer, would have the argument, as you suggested earlier, that I'm paying more than my share. So Correct. with an off-site levy, that lessens that argument. Okay. So can you explain to me, like, I didn't follow it. Like, I read the report, the Corvus report. It seemed to me that they're basically averaging those costs over the entire municipality. They figured out what, you know, the requirements for major sewer and water um, and roads, and then they averaged it out, even though you know, a road on the West Hill really won't benefit the new property over up by the by the by Good Shepherd School. And and, and yet those properties according to if I understand it properly, they they are also when those are developed there would be an offside levy against those as well for that. No, they the the program is designed to to a portion benefit. So if a property receives no benefit and never will receive a benefit, then they should not be charged a, a levy on it. And I was making reference to a, a single parcel issue that we have going, and one of the things there that we've identified is that the, the sewer, they will never be tied to the sewer. So that component can be removed because they won't benefit from sewer. But unfortunately, it still leaves them with a very significant to bear. So, and Alicia's done. So, with respect to water and transportation, the way the model has worked, the, the way it was set up was that those systems are a network, and therefore any improvement to the system is an improvement to the entire town. Uh, the way our sewer has worked is that 
we've got specific benefiting areas, and so not every single area is pulling from the sewer projects when it's determining the rate. But right now, you're right, in terms of transportation, anything that's listed under the transportation, that cost that's associated with those transportation projects is allocated, or whatever portion of it that the model, it, it's being allocated across the board to all areas. And that's something in the model, Greg informed us that that's typical of the way that transportation and water are often dealt with. That is a decision that is made in doing the model, and that's a decision that could potentially be changed, but we'd have to have a rationale for doing that. And it would mean resulting rates that would be potentially very high in some areas and very low in others. So any capital money, uh, water treatment plant, or any capital grants would be minus out of that model, out of that costing? So you wouldn't? Okay. So that's been done, right? That was, I read that in there. Okay. So some of these detailed questions, we could actually ask those when you have the workshop, right, rather than wasting time here or spending time here now. It sounds like one of us will have to become Greg at the meeting and have our heads really well wrapped around the model. Oh, Greg won't be there? And if He's in Hawaii? <laughs> I know. Uh, he's not in Hawaii, <laughs> to my knowledge. <laughs> but based on the dates, um, the date of the 22nd that we've chosen, we have asked him if he's available, and he's indicated that he is slammed with other projects. So for him to be in the room as well as Gwendolyn, we would need to change the date. So I'm just curious then to get back into the, the projects. I didn't see them itemized in here. Are, are, did I miss that? All the projects that are covered by it are listed in here, so I just need to read tighter. Okay. I don't even know what I'm doing next month. I don't know how the town's figuring out what it's going to do in 25 years' time. But anyway. <laughs> well, and that's uh, – but to, to that point, that's why this model is supposed to be updated on a regular basis because as new information arrives – this model is meant to operate on the best information that the town has, and as that information changes, you're supposed to update, update the model so that we're always charging based on best information and not based on our, our guess. So – uh, as we've gone through this argument and this discussion, I just want to go back to the point of sale. So uh, it now it'll now be eighty thousand dollars per hectare. Somebody goes out there and develops a piece of property, but he or she only needs to deposit cash into, or uh, they only whatever get charged the offsite levy at the point of sale. So that means the town for all those the town then actually has to put money into this offsite levy bank. Okay. No, because because our we haven't we, we still intend on collecting the amount. So okay. we haven't forgiven our right to collect it, it's just the timing of collection. Oh okay. as opposed to, to actually forgiving it. So, okay. So right now it's gonna be eighty. By the time they got these in five years, it could be 90. So right. Bit, bit more, but the, the issue, well, just for my own question, but the issue for most developers is not so much when, well, I guess, two, one, they don't have to pay at all. They'd rather see the rest of the town pay, pay those costs as opposed to them for their specific development. I guess that's the other issue. And the other issue, from a development standpoint, if they pay up front, then they've got to 
pay the town, and they're not going to recover their investment until one, two, three, five years down the road. And so if you get a developer like some of these developers that have lots that they've been sitting on for the last 20 years, you know, we're not getting our money, and I guess it really doesn't make any difference as long as we get it, the, you know, when they actually develop it. We, we have what, what we have the ability to defer. We don't have the ability to write off without putting money in. Right. So as long as we say, yes, we're going to collect that money, we're collecting it down the road, we're okay because that, that reserve basically has a receivable coming to it. Once As soon as we say we're not going to collect it, then we have to pay money into it to offset that receivable. Okay. But if we get in a cash flow problem, then it could be a problem. Well, t typically, uh, when you do a budget, you are you are looking at your cash flow. That's how you deal with it. You look at grants. You look at all of those things on a cash flow basis, and you you typically don't move forward with a project until you know how to fund it. And the money that we talk about in the offsite levy reserve is actually money that is in the reserve as opposed to the receivable attached to that reserve. And so it's a uh, one of the dedicated reserve type things. Yeah. Okay. And there's no issue with, say, developer A says I'm going to develop this land, comes to the town and says, um, I want to do this this levy business at the point of sale, and he sells to developer B before anything. Who pays, developer A or developer B? Well, the, fir the first thing would be if he starts with a subdivision through the developer's agreement, council has to agree to allow him to defer. And if you allow him to defer to time of sale, then when they sell the property, then they're going to have to come back and and make the payment at that time unless you agree to defer it to the next step. Okay, so someone's going to put a motion on the table. If uh, we're ready, Your Worship, I'd put a motion on the floor that uh, we provide first reading to bylaw 1952 to uh, amend the offsite uh, bylaw uh, 1851 and further um, direct administration to begin the consultation process uh, with an open house to be held um, at a date, presumably where the Corvus representative is available, although it does say January 22nd, perhaps we could leave it open. Okay. With a 60-day review and comment period for written comments? Whatever the consultation process entails in of it, that's 60 days is in there, that would be great. Okay. I'll go ahead. Just for, for clarification, I, yeah. I think that's a good suggestion. What about the legal counsel? Do you want them in attendance, or, or I leave that I, to administration's discretion? Okay. Yeah, fair enough. Perhaps they could give us something in writing if, if there's going to be issues around. It doesn't sound like there's well, much I'm, leeway. It's kind of black and we'll white. We'll see what sort of public input we get back, and if there's yeah. legal questions, we could go back. But. All in favor of Councillor Needham's motion. Okay. So what happens if we defeat this bylaw? The existing bylaw will remain in place, and, and then I guess it's up to the 
if anybody challenges us that we're not. We just get farther and farther behind. Well, I understand that, but. <clears throat> I just, from what it, what you made it sound like is, you you can't defeat this bylaw, but I guess you say you can, but you can, and then it's up to whether anybody will challenge you whether you've treated them fairly or not. That's that's the bottom line to it. Okay. <clears throat> so the next item on the agenda is. Um, uh, so we've we've finished bylaws. We're on unfinished business, uh, adoption of council strategic plan, and uh, I don't think this new. Um, so uh, Ms. Modi actually uh, uh, was kind enough to uh, put the new, or to put the uh, strategic plan in. To uh, tighten it up with the the Peace River graphics, well, I'm, can't, I'm not accessing it here on the web. Is it the old one or the new one? Oh, okay. Anyhow, there's a new. I think I sent everyone the new one, right? Yeah. So uh, thanks for getting the. Getting the Peace River logo on there. So there's, uh, I, I think there's been enough time passed that, A, we need to revise some dates. And I had a suggestion uh, about putting in another objective. But perhaps we could wait to, uh, wait to see what the, uh, what sort of economic development plan comes out of, uh, and if we sign up for it, for the Light Cardinal Group, and if that is part of our overall strategy to incorporate those into the strategic plan. I have a question, Your Worship. I recall that June or July we had some meetings with the, with the administration went through and we started updating it. We had another spreadsheet and then we were adding stuff on it. My recollection, we never finished that, but we right. – Terminated meetings and administration was going to work on that. I guess that's my question: is did did something happen? We just just seen it, and I, I guess this is kind of an outfall of the cup report saying we haven't adopted something. So I'm not opposed to to adopting something. Say, well, here's our priors right now, and then we'll flesh it out later. I, I mean, that's the other way I, I see it dealing with it. So there's supposed to be uh, basically. Uh, Plans that fall out of that 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 are the responsibility of the uh, of the town departments, right? And um, I don't think we've moved very far on that. So, well, I guess the other question I have, and particularly out of the follow the fire comfort, is it reasonable to do do all this stuff? And I guess that's some of the feedback I would be expecting from from the administration. Say, well, you know. There's not enough money. We don't have enough staff. Whatever. If if it's not not reasonable, some of the stuff there's not a whole whole lot of dollars or time attached to. But some of the stuff I think are significant. So, well, there was some of that has come through on the budgeting side. Okay. And so I guess they're waiting to see if some of those budget dollars will be approved. But 
those dates that need to be revised anyhow, so I suggested that we do that during the next budget meeting, which is December 17th or something, right? 16th. So uh, perhaps a motion to table this item to early next year. I'll make that motion, Your Worship. Okay. All in favor? Councillor Burr's motion. Uh, downtown revitalization strategy. I was actually hoping you guys would come with a bylaw on this already. <laughs> We're here to request council's direction with respect to a business revitalization strategy for the downtown area. So this is um, a summary of discussions on downtown revitalization that has taken place between council and administration following the presentation of the downtown revitalization RFD that was uh, presented to council in August. Right. But it wasn't at a, uh, it, was, it was kind of at a special meeting at council, right? Right, was there was. Was a regular meeting at council? No, it was in the it, middle it of the was, afternoon, so. Was, I don't remember. I, don't, I think you're on holidays. I was Kate, on holiday. Kate <laughs> Churchill was pinch hitting for you. Okay, you were almost on holidays. That's why <laughs> it wasn't top of mind for you. Council did at that meeting prioritize some of the next steps. However, there was no motion passed at that oh, meeting. Okay. So prior to um, implementing any policies, Administration is recommending that the town work with Lac Cardinal Regional Economic Development Board, the Chamber of Commerce, and business owners to determine what the best strategy would be for the downtown revitalization. <laughs> uh, that'll just delay it another 24 months. Um, I, I, my, uh, I'm a Anyone can jump in here. My preference is that we create a downtown revitalization bylaw and speak to the uh, the uh, incentive program, i.e., the tax break for multi-dwelling housing in the downtown area, and um, as and then we would we would take on consultation with the Chamber of Commerce, like Cardinal, so on and so forth, whoever is we need to, and then we could amend it to uh, address things like the aesthetics, the disincentives, because there sounded like there were some real questions about uh, our ability to put in some of these disincentives and, um, and probably the aesthetic part of it you probably wouldn't want in a bylaw. Or perhaps you could put in a bylaw. I don't know, but that could be a grant policy if that's the route council right. wishes to take. But I think we we I, th I think what the business community is looking for is some incentives to come into downtown more in the core. <laughs> so you're wanting a bylaw, basically. Uh, Drafted as in option two, as is in, that uh, with the multifamily 
housing as opposed to renovated downtown properties? I, I would say multi, okay. multi housing, multi in, housing. In the downtown area as identified in yeah, your. Yeah, and, and part of that, when we went through that, I, I don't know, were you here? We, we, uh, we identified what the boundaries were. So it was from. Bridge to bridge and river to hills, I think it was. Yeah. So okay, from the railway trestle to the Heart River Bridge and from the river to to the hill. So that would be the other thing that would come out in that like so bylaws. Is there anything else you would wish to change in that option too as I had outlined there? Well, I, I would think that we would just do first reading. So this is what uh, Ms. Churchill suggested um, I I don't know. Uh, we did something similar with Stone Hedge. What was the rebates on the on those? Was that hundred fifty twenty five or what? No, it was a hundred percent. I think it was a hundred percent for four, four years. years on the municipal portion. Yeah. So when right. you're um, when you're forgiving taxes, you have to remember that the school portion or the requisitions yeah. still need to be paid. Yeah, we, we well, we couldn't do, yeah, we, we don't have a right to, to waive those. But. Now, are, with this bylaw, would we be only addressing tax incentives? Like, I guess, and I know I'm talking off the cuff here, so nobody quote me on this, but if we wanted to stimulate multifamily developments in the downtown core, maybe namely um, an apartment complex, and the town has land that's developable for that purpose. Is And I know we would have to advertise this and put it out there. Is there the opportunity to put it out at a very reasonable rate to stimulate that type of specific development in the downtown core? I guess everything's possible, right? You'd have to advertise the land. There are rules that govern how you sell land. But sure. I guess what I'm thinking is, is if we were to, if if the sole purpose was to was to attract a large multifamily unit to the downtown core, and we had available land, put uh, put it out to bid, I guess, basically, and saying the town. It has to be assessed, though, and it has to be sold at fair market value. No, right? it doesn't. It has it, to be it, advertised if you're not selling it at fair market value. So if you put it out to a to a bid process or a tender process and says, you know, say the town has this plot of land earmarked for a, a larger scale multifamily development and the town's prepared to provide the land in lieu of the development, I'm just spitballing here, and then ask for proposals to come into the town and go from there. Could we not do something like that? You would have to follow the advertising process yeah. as uh, in the MGA. But I guess this bylaw that we're talking would only address tax incentives. Well, yeah, well, I guess my my thought around this is we get it out there, we put that in there, and should there people, should council want to amend it uh, to, and I think I, I would envision that it would be amended with time as, as more ideas come forward. But this starts the whole damn process moving along because um, I, well, I think that this is a, a good idea. I think it's something that we sense that the community wants us to develop. We put out an incentive and then um, 
and then other ideas would we, flow out of it. We yeah would we would amend it to. So then, could we do? Could this be two pronged? Then could we, if if that's the whole idea, is just to start the dialogue happening, then um, I would have no problem putting putting a motion on the table to ask for a bylaw to be developed, I guess, for tax incentives specific to downtown revitalization. But then I'm thinking the facade improvement portion of that is, I think, also important. And I understand that it may not be a bylaw, but also ask administration to bring forward a grant proposal or a grant um, proposal, I guess, for how we can address the facade uh, component as well. Yeah, I'm personally. I'm, I don't. I don't know if I'm. I. I would. I. I would envision that we would actually go out to chamber and eventually we would. We would collect taxes and we give that money to the chamber of commerce to the or to the uh, downtown development group and say, okay, you've got. You've got these monies that you can, issue as a grant. You guys are the owners of downtown, or, you. Uh, wasn't that one of the ideas that was thrown out there, Mr. Bunn? So, and so you tax the downtown core. The there's a downtown business association, and this is what happened in the city of Grand Prairie, and then they determine best how those monies are spent. But it's a tax that's collected on them, but then they they determine how best to spend it. That's. That's essentially it. There is a few different, obviously, options. In some instances, the, the municipality itself has retained the money and they've decided. Um, it seems that the more successful ones, Lethbridge, maybe the, one of the better examples, is where they did turn the money over to um, to this group to look after the money and set their own priorities and, and then just report back. I think annually they report back on how that money is is being spent. So, Mr. Mayor, um, I agree with the idea of um, developing a bylaw, but I'm just um, uh, wanting to clarify. Are we talking about, as an incentive one, uh, the types of buildings? Like, an incentive one, it talks about mixed-use, multifamily, residential, and commercial. Are we into all of that? And second of all, um, option two, um, one of the ideas is substantially renovated downtown properties. So would that be defined in the bylaw, how substantially it you is? Know, when we first had this discussion, I, I was a, I'm a little concerned about um, uh, giving a, a tax incentive to... So, so there you are. You're a downtown business. You've done this work. You've you've already gone out there. You've made your own effort. You've you've beautified your own property, and then council comes along three six months later, and and uh, and then provides a tax incentive to other businesses to do the same thing. It's kind of like, really now I I'm kind of. So they either come back and say, "Hey, uh, where where did where's I I already did this? What where's my my tax incentive?" So 
I think you, you get into a game where people are, uh, well, they just get angry if they took the initiative and. I can see that, but um, the program needs to start somewhere. Like right. even the, fa the facade business, that brand new store could say, I think next year I'd like to change something. Like, I, I just think we need something written down, some ideas to go on with, but I do think that we need to address those points in right. the but, bylaw. But I, I'm thinking, you talked about, well, you need to start somewhere. So let's start with multi-dwelling uh, multi uh, tax, tax incentive and uh, go from there. What about if we looked at um, multifamily dwellings or the right. habitation of currently vacant buildings rather than right. the development of a new one up on the West Hill, for example? If they right. opted to come to the downtown core, then they would get the tax break as well if they did that. They wouldn't have to pay development. Uh, or they wouldn't have to pay off-site levies. Off-site levies, yeah. So what do we need for a motion here then? We need to uh, put a motion on the table to direct administration to draft a bylaw addressing tax incentives tailored to downtown revitalization as it pertains to multifamily housing and vacant buildings. I think that's fair enough. Sorry, just for clarity. Oh, don't ask me to that. Mi no, <laughs> mixed use and commercial developments. Are they on the table or off the table? Mixed use would be retail and residential. That's right. Yeah, I would put that. Oh, well, I would put that on there. And sorry. And, and then just strictly commercial. Commercial. Oh, I, I, thought, I, I was sort of thinking commercial would fall into the whether or not they were willing to look at a vacant building in downtown. But. Say somebody. When, when Kate, Ms. Churchill presented her stuff, I thought we had some of this discussion. And I thought at the end we concluded commercial was in. Okay. Because if somebody knocks down a dilapidated building and rebuilds. Well, I mean, if we're just looking at first reading, we can always change it, right? right. Okay, I would put it in then, yeah. That would be my motion anyways. <laughs> I have a question then uh, in terms of, uh, I'm not sure how, how to ask it. Like, we haven't talked about conserving the heritage values, you know, and I guess to people look at that, that becomes a big deal. And and are are we would we allow someone say and I don't know this, the street where Dr. Ruth's office is, would we allow someone to knock down one of those smaller homes and put in a you know a five story high rise, or knock down four or five of those? Is that something that's in or out? Because we haven't had that discussion either. Like if it's uh, vacant property, I think that. Well, well, I mean, are we talking buildings that are designated as heritage, or are we just talking about old houses? Well, I if we're talking about a heritage building, to me, that's a different question. If you're just talking an old house, I would argue that if it's going to enhance the downtown and bring people to downtown, I would be open to looking at it. Yeah. Because, I mean, basically, you could look at everything or a lot of what's in the downtown and say that's heritage. We can't tear that down because that house was built in 1930. Well, I guess the question becomes, at least in talking, when I was talking to Laura, you know, you have an area, if you have a heritage area, then you want to maintain the look and feel of it. And, well, at that land use bylaw thing, you heard from the lawyer that was complaining about that she has an older home in an older neighborhood, and they put in a, 
you know, I don't know, 25 story high rise apartment across the street that now blocks the sun and all that kind of stuff. That's the kind of stuff, that, you know, are we going to allow that to happen or not? Well, that's why you have three readings. So, Ms. Gore, well, I, I, th I think the permit stage and, the, and the, in, you know, there's a bylaw around this stuff. This this stuff would end up coming back to MPC and and whether or not the permit was developed. I mean, I, I think there's enough regulation out there that hopefully we can head some of that stuff off. The historic places, buildings are all currently mapped, and we know where they are. So, I mean, you know, when you're doing your development zones or your development agreements that would have to be a part of it right well and you need to be careful with heritage too some people don't want their houses as heritage because it binds them yeah. so you want to be really careful about you know in putting that onto somebody whether they want it or not so i think i i think councillor needham's right we've got the controls in place to protect a lot of the landowners if they see a development permit going up they're well within their rights to dispute it but i i don't think we want to go around and start determining things as heritage if we're not prepared to follow up with what that may cost them or us. Yeah, if we don't revitalize downtown, everything will be heritage. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess I guess my point is I think we need to have some discussion about are we going to have the heritage and maintain the heritage values or not? Because you don't want a developer to go through the cost of purchasing property and securing a property and then, then to be told, oh, you know, we really want to pre preserve the look and feel that those older neighborhoods, you know, so it needs to be in or out. That That's my point. You know, if we decide we're going to, anything goes, then fine. Then anything goes. But you can't, you can't leave it till the developers actually purchase a property and got designs right. and stuff and, and post it, you know, on saying we're going to allow this development to go ahead. And then at that point say, oh, you know, council side, we really don't want that kind of stuff to go on. Right now, I think the town doesn't have many properties that are designated mm -hmm. as heritage. So in terms of the town indicating that they would save, for lack of a better word, some of those properties, they would have to go through the designation process. Um, in terms of new development fitting into a historic feel of the core, we do have regulations in the land use bylaw that specifically deal with that um, along some of the more visible areas of our downtown. I'm not overly familiar with them because I haven't had the opportunity to implement or deal with them yet, but uh, they do exist. For look and feel, you're... That's right, yeah. So if a development were to come along Main Street, there would be some consideration as to its aesthetics and how it fits in and how it can enhance the downtown that we have today. Okay, uh, we have a motion on the table. Sorry. Do you want to answer? No, I was just going to, um, the, the issues are separate. The, the, the development permit process will determine whether or not a building can be built. This is a separate tax incentive. It doesn't touch on, on those types of, of issues. That They're two separate things. This, is, this bylaw that will be drafted will, you know, once approved, will say we're going to give some type of tax incentive to these types of buildings once they're approved for development. The development process will then have to deal with whether or not that building should have been there or not. So not, not this bylaw. It won't touch on it. Yeah, so this bylaw is, for lack of better words, it's a bylaw of general application. Whether or not you actually are rewarded or take a benefit from it is yet another matter because you have to go through other processes. Exactly. 
Do you want to say add something to that, Ms. Boyd? Uh, I just wanted to just to point out to make sure that council is all aware that that bylaw will come up every single year because you can't bind yourselves for more than one year on a tax policy. So you'll be having that conversation every year while the bylaw is in place. So Ms. Benke has a motion on the table. Uh, are you going to read it? So you're going to take it off the uh, podcast? Yeah. So effectively it was to direct administration to draft up a bylaw that will provide tax incentives uh, for... For the development of multifamily, mixed-use, commercial, and the uh, occupation, yeah, occupation of vacant buildings in the downtown core. Within a designated? Within the designated downtown core. So all in favor of that motion? Opposed? Not opposed. So, yeah, I, I don't think you necessarily have to st stick with Kate's recommendations. You can, like, if you want to give them a lifetime tax break or whatever, <laughs> we can do it. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, um... We are now at new business emergency purchase of pump for lift station number three. Ooh. Do we have MSI money left over this year? <laughs> yeah, I think if everybody's had a chance to read the report. Pardon? The long and the short of it is uh, our lift station number three has three pumps. Um, we're currently down to one. We're hoping that as of this evening that we'll have a second one in. Uh, but they're not easy to come by, so we're actually borrowing one from the company that we're ultimately uh, buying a pump from. But it we it caused us to start reviewing where we sit with respect to these pumps because we, we are having continual problems. And the bottom line is that we have a very aged um, – uh, number of pumps in our system, so we need to we need to start addressing that in uh, in a, a more active fashion. But regardless, it is a key lift station for us. We needed to get it back in operation, so I made the decision to get a pump coming in as quickly as possible. So that that decision was made. <clears throat> so what this is is as as per our policy is to notify council that we've had to do that. And what we are proposing at this point is because we've got one borrowed, we probably will not get the new one until late this year, perhaps early next year. So um, the recommendation is that that we uh, look at putting adjusting our 2015 budget to allow for the ultimate purchase of this pump. Under capital or operating? Operating. Um, so my understanding of this discussion is there's no way around this. Really, there's no other option. Well, I'll put a motion on the uh, floor that um, it, 
we increased the 2015 operating budget by $30,560 in account 2.42.04.00.252.00 to accommodate the emergency pump replacement in lift three. So why wouldn't you take it from the reserve fund? Council may choose to do that as you go through your budget. What we want to do, though, is just highlight that it needs to be done and get council's no. approval. You may decide at some point that you want to use a different fund or whatever, which is fine to do. But but we, it, yeah, we, we need to identify something today. So that's what we've done. Okay. Well, up and down vote. All in favor of Deputy Mayor Manzer's motion? Passed unanimously. That now takes us to uh, uh, request for tax penalty waiver. Uh, I think everyone's seen this. So an individual wants to uh, or is requesting a waiver because the the late the late submission waiver, I guess, the tax penalty waiver, because he or she uh, failed to get it in on time. Uh, the recommendation from uh, from administration is is not to grant the waiver, and I think we have had fairly recent precedents in the past where somebody did something similar, and and we we uh, we denied the uh, waiver. So uh, I do will I will allow questions, and then we'll don't we have a policy about this? Like we since I'm in council, I don't think we've ever approved one, so. Maybe we should just adopt the policy, and then it wouldn't even have to come to us. Administration to say, "Town's policy is we don't." Um, well, we're the court of last appeal, I suppose. So I don't think you can. You can take that. Even away. with a policy, they couldn't still, they still? No, I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so. Um, Your Worship, I would be prepared to put a motion on the table to. Um, deny the uh, request for uh, a waiver of the penalties for the tax roll accounts 348300 250900 and 6449901 all in favor of councillor Mankey's motion ready to test the heat councillor Mankey. <laughs> do i need to say in that that the penalties are upheld or is that is that uh, implicit in the motion okay Question, uh, you, I know we need to move on, Your Worship. A question to administration. Uh, the, the letter that goes out, is it signed by the CAO or on matters such as this, or is Alan do it, or who who typically advises the rate payer uh, would, would be my question. And I guess the tone of the letter, is it, uh, does it default and does it remind the taxpayer that he's got some options, or is the letter just no? But is uh, I'm looking for some. Uh, I'm looking for a kind response in the Christmas season. But I, and, and I'm trying to re remember what we uh, what we typically do. We, we certainly typically don't get into a lot of discussion in the letter. It's uh, you know your okay, question has been reviewed and that, that, that's fine. Don't worry, no one reads the minutes. <laughs> um, uh, Dance Society letter, uh, they're just 
They're not asking for money. They're just asking for a letter of support. I think we can do that. Uh, yeah, I would be prepared for, in the interest of time here, to put a motion on the table to uh, direct administration to provide the Peace Region Dance Society with a letter of support for the Community yeah. Initiatives Program application, grant application, mm, before December 15th. <laughs> okay, I better come run down here. And it's a little short notice, but... I have a question before we put it to vote. Yeah. I didn't... I never understood that, but when the... Uh, the daycare people here, they were talking about that there's some grants you can only, you're limited to number of applications. This isn't one of those? No. Okay, all right. Thank you. Okay. All in favor of Councillor Benke's motion. <coughs> so, uh, Ms. Lightsoff, you'll text me when the letter is ready to sign. <laughs> um, uh, 2014 year in review newsletter. Um, pretty straightforward. So uh, administration is asking if we want to put out a 2014 year in review newsletter and whether it should follow the old format or or whether we wish them to adopt a new format. I'm not sure, Your Worship, what the old one looks like, uh, but if it's... Uh, it, I, some of us didn't get the... All right. I, the only comment that I've got on it is the length of it and whether or not people actually read it from front to back. I guess I was wondering if there's a way of doing it where it's a little bit more condensed and concise, but... I mean, maybe there are people out there that will read 13 pages. Like, four sides sounds to me to be a good length. I think a lot of your graphics are going to disappear. <laughs> or Hopefully, you know, it will be less text, maybe. <laughs> yeah. I think the other thing to keep in mind that this last one was, I don't know, developed it but uh, whether our staff has the time and or well there was a contract request yeah they're asking for a contractor to okay. do it uh, I guess when I was looking at this I, I have no problem with putting it out to contract at this point when we don't have a communications position um, however the format itself I, I'm not sure how conducive it is to people actually reading it and knowing what we've right. done in the last year rather than it being tossed in the garbage which is a horrendous waste of paper um, so I w have no problem putting a motion on the table to ask them to find a contractor but I think the format should be up for discussion in terms of okay. trying to find a way to condense it yeah so uh, your motion is is option whatever two or whatever it is Direct administration to, um, or sorry, to enable administration to solicit proposals for a contractor to prepare the newsletter uh, for the 2013 year in review, 2014 year in review. My apologies, uh, with the format to be determined. With a, with a format that is uh, shorter and more readable. <laughs> Shorter and, and, and a little more concise, perhaps. <laughs> okay. 
This is something Joanne can do in her spare time. Okay. <laughs> all, in, all in favor of Kessler Vicky's motion. Passed. Okay, next one. Uh, Cardinal uh, Carnival de Saint Isidore. I've got an invitation. Are we accepting the invitation? Okay. Are you guys going to enable me? Okay. I'll, uh, I'll get my daughter to give me a French speech. <laughs> okay. So enabling motion. And if I can't go, the deputy mayor has to go. Uh, Parlez-vous, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, you're making an enabling motion? All in f to allow the mayor, the mayor or designate to attend. Uh, so that's from Elaine Manzer. All in favor? Passed. Uh, hey, those. Those chamber guys left. I thought they were just going to stick around for this uh, sponsorship letter. Okay, so I didn't read this beforehand because this is a last-minute edition. So they're uh, doing their uh, annual Davis Business Awards show. It'll be held Saturday, January 17th. Uh, they noted that we gave them a $500 award last year, and they're... Uh, they're they wish we could do the same this year. So, up and down. Okay. I put a motion on the table, Your Worship, to um, provide the $500 scholarship for, or award, sorry, sponsorship. Um, yeah, I was just going to say, I don't know which one. Um, customer Service Excellent Award. Okay. I don't know. <gasps> Either or is fine, but. Uh, well, you made a decision, so. Okay, all in favor of Councillor Benke's motion? Passed. Um, that takes us to uh, check registry to December 3rd, 2014, and there were quite a few checks. It's Christmas. <laughs> so, oh, there wasn't a registry attached. To the agenda. You can email or whatever. We could all go on your computer. Okay. Okay. Uh, let's do that. So we're uh, we're going to skip the check registry and come back to it later. So, uh, councillor reports. Uh, well, I'll start off. Um, <clears throat> so there is a meeting with Northern Sunrise County tomorrow. Um, uh, just uh, our annual. Uh, supper get-together. So myself and I take it all the other councillors will be there. Um, and then uh, is there a similar meeting with another county later on in the week? No, that then on Wednesday there is the 
the town and Peace River open house at the museum starting at 5 o'clock. So be there or be square. Uh, is there anything of note on Thursday or Friday? Okay. And um, I should just mention that um, I attended along with uh, Mr. Bunn and two town staff a uh, the well they're now calling it the North North Alberta Water Committee so this was what was I think came through on our uh, on our agenda packages is more of a water wastewater support group so <laughs> Uh, I know that Mr. Cuff seemed to suggest that there were way too many committees. So so the group from Grand Prairie have created another committee. So the purpose of this committee is to be an advocacy group for water and wastewater uh, treatment activities. So from lobbying on uh, training supports for water wastewater operators for uh, um, lobbying on extensions of water lines I did find it personally I found it interesting that uh, it is really driven by Aquaterra uh, County of Grand Prairie Town of Sexsmith and uh, they talked about a lobbying effort in terms of extending water lines to places like Wembley and being an advocacy group. So I and, – and everybody that's sort of north of Sexsmith to Peace River, there weren't many in attendance there. It wasn't – Rycroft wasn't there. Uh, County of Spirit River wasn't there. Was Fairview at, in attendance? I don't think so. Set, okay. Saddle Hills was in attendance. Um, but uh, there did seem to be, while well, they created another committee. What? <laughs> <laughs> What do you think, Mr. Mr. Bunn? It's I think. Well, if I can interject here, I think there may be some value for Northern Lights to go in there because you can very well see this being an advocacy group, a lobby group for Water for Life money, getting that program up and going, but having that Water for Life money go towards Grand Prairie and extending the water lines out from Grand Prairie. But that's my cynical view, so I'll allow Mr. Mr. Bunn to put in a more optimistic <laughs> spin on it. I, I don't know if I have one. I, I think when, uh, as the mayor said, when we went, I, th I think we were under a different impression of what the meeting was all about. So we all went there assuming that it was going to be kind of um, hands-on assisting us with operator training and operator availability and sharing, of, and it... It was, um, as you indicated, it turned into more of a, 
um, policy advocacy type discussion, which we didn't know walking through the door. That's where it's heading. I guess at this point, I my comments would be reserved on the value, but I would suggest probably at this point to attend the next meeting and see if there's um, if there's anything. But yeah, it certainly wasn't what we were anticipating. The next meeting, unfortunately, is going to be in St. Paul. Yeah. Well, there was only one individual there, really, from eastern Alberta. But he, he, and that was from Portage College. And he basically volunteered Lac La Biche to be the, uh, to host the next meeting, which is end of March or something like that, tentatively. So, um, I don't know. <clears throat> but, you know, I'm looking at Deputy Mayor Manzer and uh, even the Mighty Peace Watershed. It's tough to get there. And then and then you're really into a kind of a specialist field of expertise, right? Mr. Mayor, just a note, I understand the town of Manning is now uh, using Aquaterra for their water treatment. Just one individual or the whole town of Manning? This is what the mayor said this okay. weekend. Well, they weren't at that meeting. <laughs> so, uh, but along with that concept of the meeting, we had the air monitoring folks, or there was that request for air monitoring. So that sounds like there's another committee on the horizon. Uh, so there's this water committee. And um, so there's another two committees that are uh, sprouting up um, and I, I know that A, we we don't have the time <laughs> so but the concern of course is that you don't attend these committees and uh, and stuff happens that you just because you weren't there too bad so sad Okay, so I'll, uh, Mr. Sawcheck. Well, we have the same meetings you have for a start. Uh, we also have a, uh, on next Thursday, the MPC members are invited to a annual get-together supper with the MPC and the, I think it's the subdivision uh, board. Um, get to, uh, yes Thursday Thursday 11th they're both oh. it's a joint meeting um, next Monday I have a uh, lack cardinal economic development meeting and we also have an arena meeting I believe planned for Monday the 15th right uh, and then on the 16th 
we have another, call it what you will, budget meeting, I think, as well as a uh, Northern Sunrise County uh, Christmas gathering. Okay, there's my list here. Okay, so last week uh, since we met, I had a chamber. I went to the chamber lunch on December 3rd, and then we had the Ironstone presentation that day, later that day. Uh, December 4th, it was um, just a, not a committee that I'm on, but I did have a, um, a brief meeting with a counselor from Grimshaw to talk about their physician recruitment and retention committee since we're looking at developing one in Peace River to figure out what worked, what didn't, so we can kind of focus our scope there. Um, tomorrow I've got um, a hospital foundation meeting at tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. and the dinner with Northern Sunrise County. Wednesday's the open house. Thursday's uh, MPC supper. December 15th I also have the arena meeting and then uh, when we meet again, I guess, uh, Northern Sunrise County open house on the 16th and a budget meeting on the 16th as well. Um, I have the same council type meetings as everyone else and um, then on um, let's see first of all okay next uh, Monday morning um, there's a tentative clinic meeting then on um, the 16th and 17th there's a watershed two-day meeting so I'll be attending the 17th and um, on the 19th there's the northern elected leaders meeting as well. Okay. Mr. Needham. Thank you. I, similar, uh, similar schedules to my colleagues, but I would add uh, North Peace Housing, and I did cover this some off in an email, but if you would allow me just a minute to, uh, to speak to uh, North Peace Housing. So I did send a couple of documents around, and I believe CAO Kelly and Anna perhaps have got the information as well. Uh, I think the highlight, it's certainly worth a read. It's a, it's a fairly uh, in-depth seniors needs analysis and uh, a couple things that come out of there. Although it certainly talks about seniors care and aging population, there's some interesting data in there in terms of economic development and I would certainly suggest that the Chamber or Lac Cardinal would be, uh, they would certainly benefit from that data but there's still ongoing concerns about those documents and about sharing them and some proprietary information. But I would just like to bring to your attention that there's some pretty good data in there uh, that North Peace Housing has got together. And I use the words catchment area. They use the words business area. So, for example, in Peace River, they take the town of Peace River and then in the neighboring municipalities, there's a model, but they take a percentage of MD of Peace, a percentage of Northern Lights, and all of Sunrise, and they come up with numbers. And it's uh, it's a good read if you're interested in, uh, I can certainly see in the business development area down the way, this would be a good dotting, good guiding document in terms of forecasting demographics and trends. So that's, I'd just bring that to your attention. The other document I'd bring to your attention that I did send is the actual business plan. Uh, we, uh, I think we've got some plans to get the chairman and and uh, our executive director to come and speak to them. But if you, if you were to flip to, I believe, the back end of that document, I forgot the page number, uh, Peace River is certainly a beneficiary of 
the regional needs assessment. And when I say beneficiary, uh, the needs assessment has been converted into capital and long-term business plans. And this business plan is actually not so much long-term. It's actually three years. So you will see in there on the uh, seniors' campus property or the West Hill property, as we often call it, where Garden Court is, where Rotary House is, and potentially a medical clinic, it's proposed a 120-unit seniors' complex to go on the back of that, uh, as well as a redo of Spruce Court, which is on the north end of town, and the Rotary House. So um, that's um, not in the... It, it's, it's out there. The plan has been adopted. Uh, I would just note, so that everybody knows, 12-member uh, board, 12 municipalities... When we attend North Peace Housing, of course, we're asked to participate as a regional thinker and uh, think think for the region. Of course, it's difficult to come to these meetings when you're from a, a neighboring municipality, and often <clears throat> those people take the view, no, I'm attending this meeting because my rural council or my town council sent me, and I'm not necessarily thinking in those terms. So I guess my point is it was not a unanimous vote, which is fine. Uh, it was passed, but I would just give you a heads up that um, we might hear about some of these things through our ongoing discussions with our neighboring municipalities. So there are significant implications, uh, specifically Berwyn and the seniors facility there, which loses $250,000 a year and is a 55-year-old building. Uh, that building would close. So... Um, just in closing, uh, a good document. I'd encourage you to read it. Phone me if there's some questions. And I, we would hope to invite North Peace Housing to talk about their capital stuff. Uh, it's pretty exciting. I, I think we're going to see some uh, some uh, real positive growth on the uh, West Hill. So let me, uh, I'm uh, way past my limit, I realize. I'll jump ahead very quickly. Uh, town Christmas party this week. I think we want to, on the 13th, oh, I think. Is that is that right, Anna? Yeah. yeah. So I think Anna's uh, got that well in hand. And the other question on the our neighbor meeting on April the 15th. We still have an arena meeting planned. December 15th. Yes. Yeah. I'm, what did I say? Did April, I? you're way ahead. Wow, it is way too late. On December the 15th, we are still have a meeting at 1 o'clock, correct? And yes. just uh, I did not include uh, Kelly and Anna in this email. I did send a note to our political friends up on the hill and I um, asked them if they could not find an hour or two to join us because we do have our consultant coming do we not yeah and um, the point I tried to make was that um, this is a significant project we've got two council members that have spent lots of time on it and as a council we certainly think it's a priority and municipal politics is like watching paint dry so anyway I have not heard but I'm trying to encourage our neighbors to attend, but I was not clear of the consultant. So he is here, correct? Just again, that's to do that presentation. Uh, <coughs> and uh, that would, that's it uh, for me. Right. And, uh, and uh, further to your email, Garrett Thomason emailed Peter, Peter uh, Thomas and said, hey, let's put this on the agenda and, and seem to suggest he, he seemed to suggest that we'll talk about it tomorrow, right. and then they'll talk about it further at their. Yeah, I just meeting. I thought I perhaps stepped over. Yeah. I, uh, anyway, I I thought I would okay. put my oar in the water, so perhaps you can forgive me for that. 
Yeah, no, that was good. So I was glad to see that uh, they're starting to put stuff on the agenda that is more of a more urgent nature. Okay. I guess the only thing I had other than the other meetings already noted that council is participating in is the uh, Colin and I have a Peace Region Waste Management Company mm -hmm. meeting December 18th. Other than that, all the other meetings have been, that I'd be involved with have been mentioned. Okay. I'm the same with Councillor Burr. All the meetings that uh, I attended were previously mentioned by my colleagues. Um, I will be attending a Community Services Board meeting on this upcoming Wednesday. And we're scheduled to meet with those people January 8th, 28th or somewhere? January 28th, and then there's some meeting on January 29th, and uh, right. Okay. So uh, that will uh, actually, Anna, pass around the uh, check request, so we'll just hop back there. It's also now online as well, so you can oh, okay. So I had a couple of questions okay. on it, Your Worship. Um, Canadian Recreation Solutions, Kelly, do you know what that one is? $10,000. That's a new arena. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that I had that one. I had CPS and I had KCL. I, the KCL one rings a bell, but I can't for the life of me think of who it is. Okay, so you'll find out on Canadian Recreation Solutions. You had CPS. CPS and KCL. And you you don't have a answer off the top of your head right now. No, I, sh I shouldn't have a KCL one. Uh, isn't that the assessment? Uh, the assessment group is. Yeah, that, oh, that, that, right. That, that's why it rings a bell. Okay. Yeah. The, the, I, I, right, I, right, 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 right. I, I okay. think, I think. Okay. okay. So, uh, I'll, I'll look that up and we'll, t I'll take a motion to accept the check request for information. Okay. Mr. Ford. Uh, well, I am so <laughs> all in favor. <laughs> well, it's one of those ones where you wonder why you even make a motion on it because uh, is there someone that's going to deny us accepting it for information? Uh, so then it, we go down to the information section. Um, so there's, so actually originally there was only community services and engineering and infrastructure on there. I see that Mr. Uh, 
Mr. Bushy added protective services and um, and the other one which was uh, corporate services. So I haven't had a chance to read those. I was, uh, I was pretty impressed with community services. Uh, I think they did a good job itemizing. I had one question on community services though. Yeah. On their chart, patrons, um, it's stats for January to November 2013-14. Yeah. One of them seems a little off. Public swim Saturday and Sunday. Last year it was 3,562, and this year to date it seems to be 326. So I was wondering if there's a typo or if that's... Closed on the weekends now. There aren't 3,000 people in Peace River on the weekend. So I actually had a question on that, and I don't think Mr. Bunn will be able to answer it. So the Peace Regional Pool, we have, for instance, Lane Swim, 127 patrons and then 65 visits. So is that 127 people with monthly slash annual passes and then 65 on, um, on the spot paying visitors? So that's page five of, well, it's actually page six of 11, but it's page five of their document. It's not particularly critical. It's just, so on one hand, they, they have numbers and then they have visits. So I, I don't understand the difference. Um, uh, I'm actually wondering if some of the number stuff couldn't be put up front um, and my so that we we see the numbers first. And the other question was, is the museum's goal to break what was it five thousand visitors or uh, so there no uh, so so twenty fourteen they're at fifty three fifty three hundred and seven. So is there a goal next year to break 5,500? That's a, that's a little hint to Laura, Laura Glore that she could she could put that into her business plan. <laughs> um, anybody have questions on community services? If not, um, just on is it engineering and infrastructure. Um, I think my question is more around snow and ice control, which uh, I forwarded to you, and we'll wait till we get to that particular one. Um, protective services uh, got it kind of late. Uh, like the this distribution of calls is interesting. Uh, I noticed there were two hazmat responses. Were uh, any? You be and and um, so is that. So could you tell us what the, is that for the whole year? Then no, two has been. That's a month, but I, I was away for three weeks there, so I'm not sure what the specific one is. But, uh, 
because I thought the only hazmat instances for the year were the ammonia leak and wasn't there a chlorine leak at the water treatment plant or something similar so okay be interesting to know what those particular reasons were And I see that Mr. Smith is out there ticketing people for not doing their sidewalks. Good to see. Anybody else have queries on that? It's not exactly about the report, but Mr. Bunn, can you um, just explain, for the CN Bridge crossing, why is it on the east side of the road rather than the dike side of the road that they seem to be coming down under the railway bridge. Um, 94th Street. Okay, they went across 94th Street, then they're going down. So is that different than it was before? It's, well, it's, there was a few things that had to happen there. There was a bunch of, there's a bunch of infrastructure that they have to work around in order to make this project happen. So it, it was a real problem on, 90, on 94th Street. And so their design is trying to trying to find the best way around all of that, dealing with all of that infrastructure. Yeah. We'll make a C kind of shape in the end? Yeah, I, I can. I, I, what I'll do is I'll bring the plan maybe next time just to show you how it... I don't think I have one here, but... Well, somebody else actually had, had that question too, Ms. Manzer, so it's a good question. Um, that probably should have been part of our argument is there you are, CN, forcing us to, to do work in around this infrastructure. Wouldn't it be best, best to leave well enough alone instead of spending three and a half million dollars and potentially damaging other infrastructure, but it's water underneath the bridge, literally. So uh, we have a letter of response back from MD of Peace. Um, it, it is what it is. I don't know why we were asked to comment on it when it was already reviewed and passed. Clean Air Strategic Alliance put out their annual report. Um, wasn't much there. Uh, Peace Liber Peace, uh, sorry, Brownlee had an emerging trend uh, in, in, in municipal law. I didn't uh, look at that one. Was there anything of note there? Hearing nothing, I'll go to the Peace Library System board meeting highlights. I see your name on the uh, list of attendees, Deputy Mayor. Yes, it was an interesting meeting. Was this where they uh, asked for more money? Uh, no, apparently most municipalities have already indicated that their five-year plan or three-year plan, whatever it was, is good to go. So $8 some odd cents per um Capita. And we, we did that as well, didn't we? I believe we did, yes. Uh, Chris Workington had some uh, good things to say about the generosity of the peace country. Um, there's a substance abuse in the workplace conference happening here in Peace River, right? Primary Care Connection sent us a newsletter. Stats Canada. Um, 
made note of some data that they have. Uh, actually, the Make the Peace Foundation. Now, we often, I, it's very rare for us to get a thank you note, isn't it? And it was even in, Ita in uh, italic script, so I was quite impressed. <laughs> uh, snow removal update. So I had some questions on that one, Mr. Bunn. The, I don't know if Ms. Adams was able to provide you with any answers. So when was the media thinking of going home? Just because, uh, oh. So uh, because I was just going to ask you for your uh, what you think the key communication items were, but or do you are you guys going to stick around for the notices of motion? Yeah, I, we haven't finished the information stuff, so Kelly was just going to dig up some answers, but go ahead. Yeah, just uh, one question for Kelly on the protective services report. Can we get uh, a detailed uh, um, breakdown of the medical co-response calls? It shows that we had 20 in the last month, and just going off from the presentation here, is it possible to find out how many were um, alpha calls and what was life-threatening? So we're going to have to do alpha, beta, delta, and echo calls. What about Charlie calls? Do they have Charlie calls? So what we've asked them to do is just to start based on the on the last snowfall we had November 24th, track how they how they did it. So on November 24th, they were hitting their priority one areas as much as possible. So was that Excuse when the snow started? I don't think the TVs are on, right? No. So if you want to look, you can come look over my shoulder. Yeah, oh, I, I thought you were talking. Are you talking about the TVs or the media? <laughs> <laughs> it might not come on though. <laughs> Anna, <laughs> Anna, didn't we have a problem with this before? Where? Yeah, I don't know if it's coming on. It's not. No. Oh, I'm I'm seeing you. Yeah, we can see him here, but for some reason, oh, okay. we can't show on the TVs there. Or on Mr. Needham's computer. So when when did the, the snowfall started on November twenty fourth, or is that forty eight hours after the? End no, of the they snow? they started immediately okay. after the twenty fourth. I think is a, or my calendar is that a Monday? Yeah, 
Yeah, so, so the snow happened over the weekend on the Monday they they started. So that was the 24th. And what I'll do is, just so it's easier to see, I'll shut off and put on the 25th. They, they did the main areas in the north end. The 27th was the downtown core. This was... This was um, prior to the parade, so they oh, did the okay. entire downtown core. Uh, you can see that's light blue there. That was December 1st. December 2nd was on the east side on the south end. So that, so this is basically residential. Yeah. December 4th, they finished off most of the south end. Fifth was in Saddleback. And then today was finishing off the north end. According to the policy, so what what we'd like to do is, I mean, there there is a lot of variables, right? If you're if they're cleaning and the snow more snow comes, or if winds come, or <clears throat> so what we would like to do, and what I've asked them to do is to track as they as they have now only in a little more detail. So we'll get when did the snow finish, how much snow was there, when did we start, and uh, if we can go the rest of the season f basically following our policy and we'll track all that info and it'll tell us, you know, how close we're hitting it. Overall, they're they're fairly comfortable with the plan, but it's, it's not an exact science. It requires, right. you know, it's as much an art as it is a science and it requires the expertise of, of the staff to know where they need to hit. But we want to... We want to see how closely we can, if, if, if it's consistently like this time after time after time, it would be a lot easier to draft the policy. We expect we're going to see some changes. So the five days, though, is probably unreasonable. The, the, the comment today, there was a few interruptions yeah. during this with the parade and all of those things surrounding it, and he also had uh, some staff shortage. Okay. He thinks that typically he would do the entire town if it was start to finish and if they weren't backtracking for various reasons, six days. He thinks of clean up in six days. That's straight time and uh, extra trucks, contract trucks? <clears throat> yeah, we always hire trucks, although we're, we're severely reducing the numbers um, of trucks over previous years. If if we can be more efficient when we're farther away from dump zones, we obviously need more trucks. But they um, last last year, prior years, they used to use 15 to 16 trucks. This cleanup is used four, so qu quite a difference there. So how much time then? Then you've got the loader sitting there waiting sometime for trucks, no. or they will keep. Yeah, that this what they do is they ensure they have enough trucks to keep keep. Keep things moving. Yeah. Okay. So the uh, the snow from the west side are we is is there a dump zone is there a dump spot on the 
west side? We, we're actually looking to formalize dump. We, we talked to Environment last year, and they have told us we can dump on our own property. Excellent. And so we are doing that, but we are looking to actually formalize maybe a couple of different spots, one on the west side and, and perhaps one down um, in the Shaftesbury area as well to try and reduce that time even more. That certainly is the biggest drawback is the hauling time. That's exactly, yeah. That's exactly what we're talking about. And the other issue that's a, a challenge for them is around the schools because of the amount of traffic. It's, yeah, it's a difficult because they need to get at them, you know, relatively quickly because of all the school buses. And there's just so much traffic that they spend a lot of time there. Are they fairly happy with the um, vehicles? Do the vehicles move off the streets, or that's something we need to we are, reinforce? Uh, we, we are enforcing, and we've had um, a, lot of, a lot of upset people. I forget how many tickets they've issued now. It's quite a number, and we've got upset people in there. You're saying people park there even though the signs are up, or they just yeah. don't see the signs are up? Well, yeah, I, I mean, it's probably both. It's probably they don't see them, and in some cases they may see them and they don't think we're serious. I, it could be a number of reasons. We Right now this is the first snowfall of the year, and we are, we are running into a lot of difficulty with it right now. Well, I guess... I'll flag it as an issue myself. Like, we got home last on Sunday night by 8 o'clock, saw the signs up, so I drove our street, and I I was appalled that we're, the town was going to plow our street because I, I couldn't see why. I mean, I if I use the, the Cooper standard, that there was no issue with being able to take our Cooper down that road. It was, you know, there wasn't that much snow, period. It was all packed down fairly level. There wasn't ruts and everything. And I'm going, is that typical for the whole town where they're doing it? Like, the column was saying his street's worse because people shovel their snow onto the street off their driveways. So, you know, again, I think that's hey, against, isn't that illegal? against the bylaw. Well, other than no, Councillor Needham. I'm observing that. I'm not participating. <laughs> so Councillor Needham doesn't have back alleys, and your area does as well. well and that, that I, I know that's part of it. But, uh, you know, we've been down in Edmonton. In Edmonton, they probably got t had twice as much snow, judging by – when I shovel my daughter's driveway, who hadn't shoveled it yet, and they're not picking up the snow. They, you know, I think they had enough. They bladed the street because there's too much snow that cars can't get down there because that's how much snow is on the ground. But when they blade it, they blade it over, and if people don't want it piled up in front of their house, then they shovel it onto their lawn. Well, I'm serious. <laughs> that's what they do. <laughs> but I, I, you know, I, you know. It, if it's, this is costing us $80,000 every time it snows, are we going to do that from here on, or do you let it build up a little bit before you do it? I, and I don't know, maybe there's some savings if you do it before it packs down too much, but it's once it's packed, it's packed, right? Well, you, yeah, I was just going to say that. If you if you have a foot of snow, you can bleed that level, and then when as soon as it hits five above, you've got every vehicle stuck in the middle of the street. And... The town has tried that in in prior years, and every vehicle is getting towed, and and then you can't get in to do anything. So what what we have is a, a snow management. If you've got a foot of snow 
there unless you're going to sit and wait for it to melt in the spring. You're going to have to deal with it. Yeah. If you can deal with it in, in two six-inch lifts or one one-foot lift, you're still moving a foot of snow. And what the, the system they have in place, uh, I mean, you're right. I think we've had four communities call us and say uh, we're getting a lot of, of, of their residents phoning uh, are telling them to phone Peace River and find out how they move snow because it's it's a, a good program. And so I, we could be Grand Prairie or Edmonton. They don't get those kind of calls. The kind of calls they're getting are, yeah. you know, on the other end of the scale. The other end of the scale. So, but I figure if we don't get a few people complaining about the snow, then maybe our standards too high. I'm, I mean, well, well, no, we've, <laughs> we've had uh, we had well, 14 complaints. We thought it was nine. It's 14 complaints that okay, yeah. came in. Um, they. We don't know if they were the school or not. We just take the complaint. We never flagged them because that was okay, part. Yeah, yeah. But, but overall, we had 14 complaints come in from various areas of town. Okay, so it wasn't concentrated in one no. area? or okay. no. Thanks, no. So just to touch on what Councillor Bird is saying. So oftentimes, Councillor Bird likes to talk about what he's heard on what he heard last election. And I can tell you what I heard last election is I wouldn't mind paying more taxes if you guys actually plowed my street. So I think this is a service that a lot of people are actually willing to pay for. Um, yeah, if we can find savings, that's great. But I think uh, we uh, – hell, we might get more more developers coming to town because we do such a good job. Well, I don't, uh, forgive me if I'm wrong here, but also too is is the removal of snow not a, a bit of a PM thing too? Like if you're not gr banging snow into your asphalt or into potholes that are already there, are you not? Is it sort of not a maintenance thing too, as it, much as it is a, an it, ease of movement through the community thing? It it certainly is in in times of melt, because if you're letting all that water into your <clears throat> into any cracks or potholes, whatever, yes, it it much harder on the infrastructure. Absolutely. I will note my cul-de-sac is not on this map as being colored. <laughs> it is still snow covered. <laughs> However, having said that, there's only about I mean, eight of no, us that fine. live there, so I don't think it's a priority. Just in regards to the complaints as far as the the vehicles on the streets or the tickets that were issued in regards to that. Um, are we advertising it well enough with having enough signs out there? Um, as an example, when they did the, the Saddleback area, I just happened to find out about it because I, I saw it on Facebook and I saw one sign, yeah. that which was on the entrance of, I think, 102nd Avenue going towards Northern Metallic. Well, we can certainly look at that and, and you know, we try and we get on the radio, we put it on Facebook, we we put up signs so we're we're trying to get the message out we can look and see if it's sufficient maybe it's not I mean, we I need that Brian Taylor guy to pound the message out <laughs> no that's good that's good so there was nine complaints and so the you've and you've had inquiries from how many towns I think I think it was four and inquiries from four towns uh, as to how uh, how uh, to find out how, why we're able to remove snow as well as we do. I think so. 
Okay, good. So, uh, so the. Your Worship, the other item on there, the garbage collection and recycling program, that might be an item that we need to get it, dedicate a uh, committee of the whole meeting to okay. or something. I think uh, it's certainly some good information there. I haven't spent enough time on it, but um, I know all agendas are always packed, but to me we need to wrestle that to the ground um, sooner. I think we did ask Sandy to bring a bunch of this stuff back at the last meeting, and I gather what she has in here is a result of that request, but right. uh, we've got a couple of months here, but we don't want to wait too long and then have a contract right, yeah. renewal and not do it. So I, I suggest that, um, well, my suggestion is we put a planning meeting to it and, uh, okay. and tackle it. So just uh, one last question on snow and ice removal. So my last question was uh, ice, icy roads and how we manage that. So uh, there were a few intersections that I thought were particularly icy this weekend. We we do have a policy that talks about it. T typically, too, though, we will um, we do have people on call and we do respond anytime we get complaints through through the public works or any other notification. For example, uh, Sunday afternoon they were or Sunday morning I forget they were out sanding. So once we're notified or once somebody Observes it because they're out. Then we we do try and get on them. Okay. Uh, we went through and looked at the city of Edmonton policy with respect to sanding, where they have set times. They say that they'll go in four and eight hour intervals and two and four hour intervals. And when I was reviewing that with um, our superintendent, he said, "Yeah, that's pretty much what we do here as well." So I'm, I'm not sure if that's the information you were. Well, I, it just seemed to me that we weren't out there sanding this weekend and some of those roads were had a real glazed look to them. And uh, I'm, so I, ju I just didn't see any sanding, and which kind of prompts the question, do we have a SWAT team on weekends that if – and when, what would – and you sort of touched on that. It would actually have to be a, somebody calling in about – icy roads for for them to go out there and, and actually sand. So that's the trigger. There well, isn't it, a... It is, but uh, having said that, although it's not formalized, typically our, our superintendent and our deputy superintendent um, actually go out and most every weekend they're out driving and they're the ones that typically make the calls to get things started. Um, okay. I do know that that they did have a Christmas event this weekend, but um, typically that's what happens. Perhaps as we as we fine tune the snow and ice.
policy, we can talk about sanding as, as on the next iteration. Okay, so I should just ask for a motion to accept items 11.1 through 11.13 for information. Is Councillor Needham, Needham going to make a different motion on having yeah, garbage collection? I come? think he, he can make a motion right after the oh, information okay. one. I'll move to accept the items for information. Okay, all in favor of Mr. Murray's motion? So, Mr. Needham, you have a motion. Yes, Your Worship, but perhaps uh, administration could find a suitable date uh, in uh, February, March period to bring back the garbage collection and recycling item, and uh, that could be a, a focus of our committee as a whole, or as George Cuff called it, a help me with the right priorities name. and governance committee. Priorities and governance, how, however we handle it. But I guess my motion would be to. Uh, bring it back as a standalone item and we dedicate an hour or two specifically to that topic and I would leave the date to administration. Okay. All in favor of Councillor Needham's motion? Passed. Um, I will uh, give <laughs> uh, media a chance to just speak to you what they think they're before we lose them, although I, I invite them to stick around for the notices of motion, but what do you what you uh, thought were the key communication items coming out of today? Right. Oh, okay. So uh, we're gathering information on uh, on medical co-response and um, and um, uh, basically whether it should be a mission of the of the fire department or we should leave that service with Alberta Health Services. Yeah, yeah, well, it probably won't be me as the uh, contact on that one. <laughs> well, it'll be somebody here, yeah. But, yeah, okay. Uh, I think we'll decide that uh, probably Mr. Ford. And, um, okay. Uh, I also had on here from my own notes um, the letter for the Dance Society just as a point of interest the donation to the chamber for the Davis Awards and um, some kudos on the snow removal. Right. Yeah. So do you think for the snow removal part of that should be the advice to move your car off the road if there's signs and stuff? 
Yeah. Um, well, I guess we could talk about that. There were that there were nine nine complaints and it, uh, four, fourteen with and it they revolved around uh, having to move their cars off the streets for snow removal, but. Uh, then we can speak to the importance of getting these cars off the street so we can we can properly remove the snow. Um, <clears throat> we'll make some note there, but we and then uh, we but we also want to note that uh, uh, we've had inquiries from five municipalities as to how we're able to remove snow as as well as we do. Yeah, I have that in there. Um, I guess while we're discussing this right now, while the media is here, so for um, the presentations I had Terry down for, the Lac Cardinal presentation, I have Orrin Ford down for Alberta Health Services. Um, I can take daycare unless somebody else wants it. <laughs> we'll give that to you. <laughs> okay. Um, off-site levy bylaw amendment. Uh. Tom or Terry was sort of where my heads were at. Yeah. How was that there? Well, Terry, she's had his head wrapped around it. So. Um, downtown revitalization. I just put that one under me because under the strategic plan, it's okay. under me. Okay, that's fair. Um, I wasn't going to put a contact name for chamber donation or the dance aside just because no. they're – and then snow removal. I don't know. Uh, you can put my name inside there. Yep. Would it be helpful to see a, a small story that can we do to just Yeah, I, sure. I think that would be, yeah. Well, yeah, give give it, uh, bounce it off me first, and then uh, as we're getting down into the detail, I'll probably hand you off to Sandy directly or. Uh, tomorrow morning at my work number. Six two four seven zero seven zero. Jeez, that's now on the podcast. <laughs> and his voicemail is twelve. <laughs> is it? Always. Yes, but it's <laughs> I didn't know I was full. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, okay, good. So that uh, takes us to notices of motion. So, uh, Mr. Bunn, uh, I understand there are three notices of motion. Is that correct? We had uh, two notices of motion. Is the third one a notice or is a request? Uh, either way, I, I don't care. I'd rather get the information, but... Okay. So uh, the first notice of motion, as I understand, is Councillor Burr moves that administration develop a gravel road and alley policy for the improved maintenance of the town's graveled roads and alleys. Um, so... Remind me on the procedure on notices of motion is there's no debate on this. It's just a vote, isn't it? 
there's they're, they're just they're just here for council's information to give them a heads up to uh, there'll be a vote next there'll meeting. be a vote uh, next meeting so the idea I believe your worship is that uh, council members are given a heads up they can uh, pull their supporters or gather their data and come prepared to debate to debate next uh, next time these come up that's my understanding okay so we're not discussing them at this point that's that would be my interpretation of our policy yeah okay and the uh, second motion is Councillor Burr moves that administration develop amendments or a replacement for the procedural bylaw. And the third motion is Councillor Burr moves that administration provide a written report on why the information requested by Council regarding the Pax Creek event has not been provided. I have changed the have to has. I think that's more grammatically correct. Okay. So um, we just read out these notices of motion and uh, there's no vote on it right now and uh, we'll talk about it next council meeting. Great. Okay, so that... We're so, gonna so I had a question, Kelly. Like, this doesn't seem to be a very efficient way of getting stuff done. Is that... Is that by plan or device, or is this intended for? No, I think in order to, to to put stuff on the agenda, so you know what we're doing down the road. Or I can I I'll answer this one because uh, I've made a notice of motion in the past, and the idea is that nobody can interfere with you putting a notice uh, a motion on the table. So uh, I. I think I have some rights as the chair to to not accept motions that are just made during the course of the meeting. So this allows you to make a motion and nobody can interfere with that motion and it has to be considered, is my understanding. Correct. And, and if you were to follow strict procedure, every motion should have a seconder. So you might have a motion you want to put forward that nobody will second. This way, it gets your motion on the floor. Also, <laughs> so it um, in in terms of most of our day to day stuff, I don't know that it would be the way we would want to proceed. But it is an avenue, as the mayor indicated, when uh, for whatever reason you want to get a motion on that that others may not agree with. So if it's something that I would expect to get support from the council table, it's easier just to try to wrangle that motion during a during the regular council meeting, so then the motion will be made, and then council, the administration could start on it. Well, yeah, I think the, the best way is to put the whatever the issue forward as an agenda item, right. and then we deal with it on part okay. of the agenda. But technically, the chair has reserves the right to, uh, I guess, controls the agenda. So, so this is a way to so. If if I never let you talk about gravel roads, we everybody and you wanted to bring up gravel roads all the time, we just go point uh, point of order, point of order, <laughs> you're out of order, <laughs> and you wouldn't be able to bring up gravel roads. So. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so we're going to take a recess, and uh, uh, Ms. Alexa, if you can. Uh, uh, leave since the other items will all be in camera.